Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Alright everyone, we're back with another edition of the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. And uh, before we get started, I just want to tell you that we've uh, gained another kind of affiliate type thing with Amazon. Everybody knows Amazon. Everybody loves Amazon. Right here in our backyard. Yep. Um, and if you go to amazon.graveplotpodcast.com, you're going to get yourself a free 30-day trial of Prime. Now, Prime's pretty sweet if you take advantage of all the things it's off- it offers. Sign up for it. You're going to get yourself uh, 30 free days of Prime. Uh, I mean, you can do instant video. Um, free two-day shipping. That's Yeah, that's a bonus. I mean, if you buy a lot of stuff from Amazon, that's cool. Yeah, it pretty much pays for itself if you if you buy enough. Yeah, I, I, I don't personally buy from Amazon all that often. Um, but I, I usually sign up for it when there's something specific that I want to order and I just don't want to pay for shipping. <laughs> um. Anyway, so go check that out, amazon.greatplotpodcast.com. Um, so, to get started with things, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I thought it was funny that recently, I, I don't know who decided, but apparently Lynn Shea has been named the, the godmother of horror. What? Which is funny to me, because every time I think of her, it, she's still the landlord from Kingpin in my mind. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she hasn't even been in that much horror, at least that I can think of. I mean, in the Insidious movies, but... Aside from that, what yeah, else? Yeah, I really don't know. I feel like uh, just the public opinion, like, if somebody gets really popular in a certain genre, even if they haven't had a long career in it, then suddenly they become, like, this icon. Uh, even though their history and their career doesn't really speak to that... <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I'm seeing the article in Dread Central, but like I said, I don't know who who made the decision. Um, let's see, she God, was the, I just handed down on high. <laughs> uh, she was in the Signal, 2001 Maniacs, Critters, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, the original? Yeah, yeah. She was like um, a, t- a teacher or a nurse or something. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. She wasn't as old, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be the big big giveaway. Yeah. But, uh, oh, Wizard World, apparently, is the ones who officially declared her godmother of horror. Okay. So, there you go. That's a... That's... that's Those are words that were said in public. Yep. <laughs> so, what else is new with you? Uh, not a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's only been a week. Yeah. This uh, is probably going to be sort of a short episode we don't have a, a lot of horror business just because it has only been a week yeah, well i mean our original intention was just for for this to just be a mini so we we're just going to do reviews but then we realized that you know next weekend we've got crypticon and we don't typically well typically we've only done it once but, uh i don't think we'll be doing news for, yeah. on that episode so so then that, wanna, that would make the next episode be really fucking long yeah um yeah we don't want to get all backed up yeah because then it's hard to poop <laughs> Yes, it is. Um, Story of my life. <laughs> you should eat more fiber. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, I guess before we get into horror business, just want to remind you guys that this is Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month. This is kind of a continuation um, of our um, our kind of 
celebration's not the right word, but coverage. I don't know. I, I, I guess, um, but of Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month, um, and this might be kind of our last one. I mean, I might talk about it a little bit on the Crypticon episode, but probably not as much. But so this is kind of our last official episode of CF Awareness Month, and uh, we've got a um, an interview later on in the episode that. Uh, I was really happy to do, and uh, came out really well. But it, it, you know, in relation to CF and CF awareness, um, also remind you that we've got our CF awareness shirts in our store. Uh, we added a not just one extra size because the shirts we have them on only go up to two X. Mm-hmm. So we added another shirt. That goes up to three X. So I mean, it actually goes up to five. I think. Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a little more expensive, but I guess and you, you can also if you can get it in like a small, medium, or large. If you want to just pay more money. Yeah, I mean, it might be a better. It's, it's listed as a premium shirt. shirt, so I think I think it's probably a higher quality of shirt. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, we we've got two of our own shirts. You know, both of us for the you know our our show shirts. And they're decent quality. I don't have any yeah, complaints about them. Yeah, never had any problems with you know holes or anything like that. So. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, go check those out. Um, and each purchase that's made, five dollars of that total, which is by the way our our entire commission, all the money that we personally make off of those shirts, uh, is going uh, to Cystic Fibrosis Foundation as a donation. Um, there's a bit of a delay in getting our money for that. But as soon as we get it, then it's going to see a foundation. So please go to our store. Um, you can just go to our website, or I believe you can just go to grayplotpodcast.spreadshirt.com, and that'll take you to our store directly. Um, but please, yeah, please go check those out. Uh, pick yourself up a shirt. Um, I drew the ribbon on the front, and the 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 zombie on the back was driven, not driven, drawn. <laughs> by my brother um, who as you guys know by now was a uh, CF patient uh, who recently passed away um, but a bit of an artist as well so uh, took that sketch right from one of his sketchbooks and put it on our shirt so anyway um, go check that out and get yourself a shirt support CF awareness Um, you can also go to cff.org and make a donation there if you prefer um and I guess that's all for right now. Um, actually, something I wanted to do last episode that I didn't, um, and it's explained a little better later on in our interview, but um, just so you guys aren't familiar with cystic fibrosis, it's actually a um, digestive and respiratory disease or pul- pulmonary, I guess that may be a better term, um, in that uh, the patients, because of... Uh, uh, it's a genetic disease, so because of a mutation in their genes, uh, the salt pumps, I believe our guests refer to them as, um, causes mucus to build up in the lungs and in the digestive tract, um, and it becomes very thick, sticky, cement-like mucus um, because so much moisture is being pulled out of it by these defective salt pumps. Um and as a result, it becomes very challenging uh, to breathe and have proper respiratory function. Um, and as well, 
it, it block the the mucus will build up in the pancreas, preventing it from releasing digestive enzymes, which prevent patients from um, digesting pro, uh, proteins and fats and sugars, um, basically all the nourishment they need to actually grow. So if you actually if you see a CF patient, they're typically pretty small people. Uh, I mean, small small build and frame. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a like I said, it's a genetic disease, so it's not as it's not as simple to cure as some things may be. But uh, there's a, a lot of things being done to help raise awareness by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Excuse me. <laughs> um, actually, I just told you earlier. Um, I mentioned. I don't know if I mentioned it last week or not, but I did mention in our episode in our interview later on. But today was actually there was actually a CF walk by Great Strides, which is like kind of the fundraising portion of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, and uh, my brother's girlfriend and her friends and family kind of got like a team together um, to go and raise some money down at Huntington Beach which is actually where we spread my brother's ashes. Um, so it was kind of really... Cathartic? Sure, yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Um, anyway, so they've raised like $650. Yeah, that's... Good for them. That's fucking awesome. Um, really excited and proud and, and you know happy for them. Um, we've sold a couple shirts, but... So far, that's it. <laughs> hey, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're doing our part. Yeah, we're, we're, we're trying. That's, that's definitely for sure. Anyway, um, so, yeah, uh, help us out with a donation. And uh, I know I'm just repeating myself now, but <laughs> it's really important, guys. Um, there is there's a link on our website. If you just go to greatpotpodcast.com, it's on the right-hand side, kind of halfway down. That actually links directly to a tribute page for Tony's brother if you would like to donate in his name. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, obviously you don't have to feel obligated to do that. Just going to cff.org and donating whatever you can helps. Yes, absolutely. And if you do donate, please give us a shout-out and let us know, and we'll, we'll you know, give you some recognition here on the show. Uh, we're, we're more than happy to do it and happy that somebody's helping out. So, anyway... Um, I guess that's all for right now. Um, why don't we just go ahead and do horror business? Why don't we? All right, starting out with um, this may maybe some good news, um, <laughs> some. Uh, Mercy news, I guess. Um, Fox has canceled the following, which, of course, is a Kevin Bacon show. Uh, If you haven't watched Bacon on YouTube, (laughs) then do that as soon as you're done listening to this. You just got Bacon! (laughs) (laughs) So good. Um, This was the third and final season, and um, at this point in time, it's actually already finished, I believe... Um, the final episode, or by, I guess by the time you're hearing this, um, it'll be over because the final 
two episodes actually aired two days ago on Monday, the 18th. Um, but they should still all be streaming on Hulu, so if you want to go back and check them out. Um, but as I said, this is the third and final season. Um, the following had a really strong first season. It was really interesting and drew huge um, ratings. Uh, I believe it, this first season it was rated to the highest highest rated new show in the 18 to 49 year old bracket, which is <coughs> excuse me pretty impressive. Um, but then there was just a huge drop in the second season, and I was never a, an avid watcher of the show, but I've I've seen enough to know that second season really <laughs> dropped off. Really? Yeah. Did you Did you watch it at all? I didn't. I heard lots of good stuff about it, and I had, had mean to to pick it up, but I just either kept forgetting or that'll happen. Yeah. Um, and you know, the girlfriend had no interest, so. You know, it's interesting to me the differences, like because most of the time, something that we think mutually think is cool, my wife and <laughs> my wife, my wife is nice, is nice, great success. Uh, <laughs> Borat, Borat. <laughs> um, my wife and your girlfriend will probably think it's stupid, but then there's these things that. They, they they differ on. I mean, it's it's surprising sometimes. Because you'd think that their tastes would be more in line, but I don't know. I don't either. All right. I got nothing on that, sorry. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the contribution. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, the second season really was just kind of lame. Um, it... Uh, this third season seemed like it kind of was a return to form a little bit, and uh, fans seemed like they started to get into it again, um, but uh, the ratings just continued to drop into, into <laughs> the abyss. Um, so, yeah, Fox finally cut it, and uh, mercifully so, I think, because it just the show just lost something, and it, it really seemed, just the way they designed the story, it really seemed like they kind of made it with nowhere else to go. Mm. I mean, you know, they catch the bad guy and then they got to find something else to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Warner brothers, who is the distributor of the show is shopping it around to other networks. I think I heard this possibility of Hulu picking it up. Mm. Um, don't know if that's true or not. Um, anyway, so yeah, the final four episodes, <laughs> they, they really wanted the show to be done. Um, they had four more episodes, each an hour long, but they aired aired them two at a time, on the 11th and the 18th. So, uh, you can go back and check those. So they weren't messing around. They were like, just get it out. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> we want out. Wash of my the, hands of it. We want out of the bacon business. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's all for that. Go check it out on Hulu uh, for the old the old episodes if you're still interested. And I think the, the old old ones are on. Um, Netflix, I think. So that's all. So for eight years, people have been talking about a possible twenty eight months later. 
and the whole time we're like, please, God, no. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, it looks like it may finally be happening. According to the writer of 28 Days Later, Alex Garland, in an interview with IndieWire, he said about two years ago, Danny, me being Danny Boyle, the director of 28 Days Later, started collaborating on the potential to make Trainspotting 2 another sequel. In that conversation, an idea for 28 months arrived. I had a sort of weird idea that popped into my head, partly because of a trip I'd taken. I had this thought, and I suggested it to Andrew, who is Andrew McDonald, the producer of both 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later, and Danny. But I also said, I don't want to work on it. I don't really want to play a role, and Andrew said, leave it to me. So he's gone off and is working on it. Okay. I'm wondering, he says, partly because of a trip I'd taken, is that like a literal trip or like a drug trip? I guess it could be either one. We don't really know the guy, so. That's true. Um, yeah, but so I'm just like, why? Didn't Danny Boyle himself say, didn't we report on this like a few months ago that he said calling a third movie 28 months later is just taking the piss? Yeah, because he said then you got 28 years and then you're done. Yeah. He's like, there's nowhere to go from there, which is fine with me. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we could just get this one and the ne- and the inevitable next one out of the way, then good. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, these are not zombies. I just we got to get that out of the way. Yep. You, you can ask Danny Boyle and Alex Garland both themselves. They'll tell you they're not zombies. They're people infected with a rage virus. Yeah, and you know you can call us zombie snobs if you want, but <laughs> go fuck yourself. Cause the writer still- of the fucking movie says they're not zombies, so eat a dick. Right. Uh, I I don't know what this is. Good. Twenty eight weeks later sucked. It it did. Yes. I mean, I wasn't a fan of even twenty eight day twenty eight days later for a long time. It took me like several years to actually appreciate that movie. Same here. Um, I think it was probably because at the time I was so it's like these are not zombies. God damn it. Yeah. Um, and they're still not. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but. Um, but 28 weeks later, it just sucks. And it's like, if they're just going to repeat that same bullshit, then don't even bother. Hard to say. I mean, uh, Andrew McDonald is the one writing it, apparently, and he was was a producer, so he was, didn't even write either one. Did you check? Does he have any writing credits? I did not to check, um, but I will do so now. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's weird for the the writer to hand it off to a producer to write. Yeah, and then I'm wondering, is he going to direct it as well? I don't know. I mean, obviously Danny Boyle, son of Peter Boyle, <laughs> is involved somehow. Is he really? No. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Peter Boyle's American. Oh, right. I forgot Danny Boyle was a Brit. Yeah. Uh, no, no writing credits whatsoever. Awesome. 25 producing credits. So this movie's going to be really good then. Yeah. <laughs> he produced Dread. Awesome. <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm being facetious. Now, Judge Dread with Stallone. Badass. That movie's awesome. <laughs> you know what Dread was missing? Sylvester Stallone? Well, yes. <laughs> Rob Schneider. <laughs> Jerpy Jerp. Rob Schneider as the stapler. <laughs> 
Is that is, are, are we done with Dan? Uh, twenty eight days later. I mean, twenty twenty eight month, months, months, whatever. Twenty nine. Oh, just so there's no confusion, the Sandra Bullock movie 28 Days is not part of this canon. <laughs> but it's better than 28 <laughs> Weeks Later. It is not the prequel to 28 Days Later. <laughs> <laughs> just want to make sure people realize before they go to Blockbuster. Right. <laughs> Blockbuster. Blockbuster's officially gone now, right? Yeah. Like, they don't exist anymore? They are, they are bankrupt. Got it. Because I knew they were they'd shut down, like, like 75% of their business or something like that. But. Yeah, as, as far as I know, there are none left. They went the way of the dodo. Womp womp. I never, <laughs> I never really went to Blockbuster all that much. I was more of a Hollywood video guy. I... I think I went to both. I know there was a an AV video <clears throat> that was close to my house that I used to walk to, but then I think that turned into... Hollywood video, I think. Mm. I remember that one place when you when you lived in Ballard. That place was kind of up the road, just like an old school, like old style um, video store. You remember that? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We only went there like once or twice, but yeah, yeah. I assumed you'd gone there yourself more, more times than that, but no, not really. No, yeah. Anyway, I missed those. Yeah, I mean it's not. It's not economical or practical anymore, but I still miss them. I mean, it was cool to like see everything, you know, right there in front of you, and you could pick it up and look at the back of the box. And yeah. Anyway, we sound so old right now. I know. <laughs> I miss the day back where... in my day. <laughs> we used to have to walk to the video store. <laughs> we had to pay with cash and coins. <laughs> Oh. And if you didn't get it back by noon the next day, you were fucked. <laughs> we're older than the internet. <laughs> we we do predate the internet. God, how how must that feel to like know that you were born after the internet? Fucking kids these days. <laughs> like they're the internet was a shit little kids. <laughs> fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like think of like the year two thousand when. I mean, at that time, or by that time, the internet was pretty prominent. We're getting so off topic here. Uh, the internet was pretty prominent. And, you know, kids na- kids born in 2000, they're 15 now. They're, I mean, they're teenagers. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the internet, almost as, as it is now, has been around their entire life. Yeah. I mean, you can remember back when we were, like, you know, eight years old. Like... I had uh, Prodigy back before there was, like, really an internet. Like, there were Prodigy Prodigy pages, basically. (laughs) I'm not familiar with Prodigy pages. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you have the internet when you were were that young? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, I mean, you had, like, AOL, I think. I think AOL goes back that far. And then there was, like... um, Uh, there was another service I'm, I can't remember right now, but um, then there was Prodigy. Do you remember Prodigy? No. Oh, yeah. It was like one of those original internet providers. Huh. Anyway. I remember Firestarter, Smack My Bitch Up. I remember that Prodigy. 
Yep. Different prodigy. Took me a second to realize why that was relevant. <laughs> I mean, it's still technically not, but <laughs> anyway. Okay, so. Uh, Anyways, we're old. 20, we, 28 weeks later. We had the first cell phones. Or months later. Yeah, we did have the first cell phone. <laughs> or our parents did anyway. Next. <laughs> So they're going to remake The Craft. Yay, I guess. Sort of. Whatever. I was really surprised when this, when I first saw this news, how many people were like, fuck yes! I was like, okay. Really? Yeah. I mean, I I, I like The Craft. I mean, I'll watch it. But the thing is, I didn't see anybody who was like, I love The Craft so much, it's the perfect movie, don't fucking touch it. Everyone was either like, fuck yeah, The Craft, yes! And other people were just like, oh, okay. <laughs> sure. I don't, I don't understand why. I mean, it's not that old. They're gonna basically remake the same movie again, more or less. Except it's gonna have a lot more like shitty music in it. Probably, yeah. <laughs> a lot less for his bulk. It's true. It's always a plus. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's gonna be written by Lee, Lee Janiak. Sure. Oh, God damn it. And Phil Gra- Grazia Day? Grazia D? Grazia Day? Gra- something. Uh, they wrote? Yes. Honeymoon? Not familiar with that. I Me neither, but from what I was reading, it's apparently like the indie horror hit of last year. Hmm, so how that snuck by us, I don't know. But. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we need to look into it, I guess. Um, it's going to be directed by Lee Janiak. Um... The original producer, the producer of the original film, uh, Doug Wick, uh, is going to produce with Lucy Fisher. Um, and if you're not familiar with the craft, which you know anybody born in the internet age may not be, um, go again with the goddamn internet age. <laughs> uh, it is about a group of Catholic schoolgirls who use the dark arts to settle scores and resolve their personal issues. Eventually, the black magic tears the group apart. Oh, spoilers. It's, it's older than ten years, so it's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it doesn't really mention, like they say, dark arts, but they're witches. They're, they're coven of witches. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's got Feruza Balk, Nev Campbell. Okay, it was Nev Campbell. I was trying to remember if that was her or if I was thinking of a different movie. but And um, Robin, Robin something. She's in one of them detective shows on like CBS or something. I don't know. She is. Okay. <laughs> I, I promise she is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, I mean, the craft was okay. I don't see any reason to remake it. I don't either. It wasn't but a- apparently, some people do, and they're fucking stoked about it. All right. Well. More power to them, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I really see them taking, like... A lot of liberties. Sure, but I, I see it being, like, the Carrie remake. It's just unnecessary? Yeah, just really, like, poppy and fresh and, you know, and, uh, like like an MTV movie. I mean, that's, uh, that's what I'm expecting. Barf over your face. 
Um, so fucking kids, you know, look, look for that. Have fun <laughs> with it. If you want to send us a review, then go for it. Cause we're not going to watch it. No, we are not. I bet it's PG 13 too. Probably. Yeah. Fuck it. So speaking of remakes, we've told you already that The Blob is being remade again. The original came out in 1968, I believe, and then the remake was in 1980, I want to say 8 again. Uh, The 1988 or 80s, whatever it was, version is actually pretty damn good. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I don't don't remember it being bad. Yeah. Um, (coughs) Like I said, it is being remade again. And they have. It's going to be directed by Simon West, who is the director of When a Stranger Calls, which is terrible, it is. and Con Air, which is like awesomely bad. I'll take that. Sure, <laughs> I know that I enjoy it, but I don't know. I don't know if I enjoy it because it's awesome, or if I enjoy it like ironically because of Malkovich. That's why. Sure, <laughs> and uh, uh, John Cusack, he makes everything better, but Nicholas Cage makes everything worse. So they balance each other out. <laughs> Well, they found their star. Go ahead. Take a guess. Who do you think it is? I'll give you a hint. He's in everything. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It's exactly who you think it is. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, he will be playing a biochemistry professor attempting to thwart the otherworldly predator discovered deep within the earth. Mace Windu himself. I think Samuel L. Jackson, and I think scientist... And I think Jurassic Park. Yeah. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So here's some more stuff to get excited about for the blob. Oh, God. There's a quote from Simon West. With modern CGI, we can now fully realize the potential of the blob. Uh, Yeah. The world I create will be totally believable, <laughs> immersive, and emotionally satisfying. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> it's a thrill to introduce an enduring icon to a wider audience and a whole new era of money. I mean, fans. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's basically going to be a cartoon. Yeah. Um. You know, instead of doing something easy like just making a big thing of Jello or whatever, yeah, they just gotta make like a fucking kiddie pool full of Jello and just throw it at Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, there's they got to make the the blob do something other than just you know absorb people. I guess, like maybe I don't know, do cartwheels or something. Well, it's funny <laughs> you should mention that because there is a rumor which is actually from. I think several months ago now and it's still not been confirmed or denied but there's a rumor that the blob may have legs <laughs> what how is it still a blob it's not then? a blob it's a biped yeah <laughs> all I, I i picture like did you see did you see flubber yeah the one with the little flubber oh when they have yeah they have the little arms and legs yeah yeah that's what i picture now that, yeah that's... that makes sense 
That's fucking stupid. That's it is fucking stupid. It's not a blob at that point. Nope. A blob uh, insinuates. Yeah, a shapeless mass. Exactly. Legs are shapes. They are shapes and limbs. Blobs don't have limbs. So this is shaping up to be a disaster. Oh, it was a disaster before that. This thing's been fucked since Jump Street. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. If you're excited for this one, then maybe you need to reevaluate, reevaluate your life. <laughs> uh, or maybe we're just cynical assholes. That's, that's a possibility. Too. Oh, we're definitely cynical <laughs> assholes, but, like, we have reason. I mean, we we think about things. See, you know, you call me an asshole and call me, like, negative all the time. Uh, but it's like, it just it gives me a better scope on the universe. <laughs> I mean, like we've said before, we love to be proven wrong. I don't like being proven wrong. Well, for something like this where we're like, okay, this is going to be terrible. And then if it turns out to be great, awesome. Sure. I like watching good movies. Yeah. But, you know, you, taking what you give me, it sounds like it's going to be terrible. Yeah. Uh, the- <laughs> you tell me the director of When a Stranger Calls is making a blob movie with a shit ton of CGI. Nothing about that sounds good to me. Yeah. With Samuel with L. Jackson. Yeah. So, uh... Um, it, it's like, saying this is going to be bad, it almost doesn't feel like a guess. It feels more <laughs> like something I'm already fully like aware you're of. you're reporting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like it's that much of a sure thing. Uh, it, it just might be. <laughs> it just might So, those of you that really love your vampire movies might get excited about this, but most of you probably won't. Um, Kate Beckinsale is making a return to the Underworld series. Hey! Hey! Um, She's going to once again don the tight black leather cat suit. Yes, sir. You know... You know she's she's a good looking lady, but uh, you know she's starting to get old, and it's like, why are you so hot? <laughs> <laughs> but I can't have you. <laughs> um, you know she was like smoking hot in the first one and the second one, but uh, you know vampires don't age, and she's aging, so it's like. Comes, it's kind of like the... the this bus. is the fifth one, right? Yeah. Jeez. She wasn't in the third one. The third one was actually a prequel, but nobody considers it a prequel. Was she in the fourth? Yeah. Okay. The fourth one was garbage. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, anyway, uh, Kate Beckinsale will be reprising her role as Celine. Um, some previous rumors suggested that she was, the, the series was going to be rebooted. Because uh, why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't you reboot a series that's... 15 years old. Bloody hell. <laughs> um, like you said, this will be the fifth film in the series. Um, now, you, you've seen the first one. Have you seen the second one? 
Yes. Okay. Um, I assume you probably haven't seen the third or fourth one. I've not seen three or four, no. Okay. The um, third one was okay because it's almost entirely a different uh, story. Almost. Okay. I mean, you know, the the character of Lucian. Yeah. From the first one. Was that Bill Nighy? No. It was the the head of the werewolves. Okay. Um, Bill Nighy was the head of the vampires. Yes. What was his name? Um... Victor. Okay. Uh, yeah, Lucian was the head of the werewolves, and this the third movie was about kind of like his origins back in fuck sixteen hundreds. Oh, okay. Um, and it had uh, Rona Mitra. Rona Mitra. Is that her name? I don't know who that is. Rona Mitra. I think that's that's her last name. <laughs> She's an actress. I assumed as much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it had uh, Bill Nighy in it. Um, yeah, um, Lucian was played by Michael Sheen, who, like, uh, he played uh, my, um, was it David Frost? Is that his name? The reporter that, or he did the interview with, the famous interview with Richard Nixon. Yeah, yeah. Um, he played him in, in Frost Nixon. Uh, I believe he played... Uh, one of Liz's <laughs> boyfriends in 30 Rock, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So, but him and Bill Nighy, those were like the only repeat characters. Oh, and uh, Raz, the, the big, giant black guy from the first one. Mm. He was in it, too. Okay. So, anyway, but yeah, this fifth movie... Uh, don't know why they're making this. It's the fourth one was bad. It was about like Celine uh, and her daughter because apparently vampires can get pregnant. Um, uh, Theo James is rumored to be re- returning to his role um, of David that he played in Underworld Awakening, which was the fourth one. Uh, it's going to be directed by Anna Forster. This is her first feature film. Um, she's better known as a TV director. She's directed a few episodes of Criminal Minds, uh, Madam Secretary, and Outlander. But like I said, no features as of yet. Um, Corey Goodman is going to be writing it. Um, he wrote the movie Priest, which was awful. And The Last Witch Hunter, which will probably be awful. I think that's mainly because... <laughs> <laughs> they cast Vin Diesel as the star. Oh Lord! <laughs> um, but it's it's rumored that the film is going to. I guess they're keeping the, the actual details of the of the movie pretty under wraps. But it, the rumor is that the film is going to focus on a new generation of vampires and werewolves who are locked in a seemingly never ending battle between the supernatural races. So that kind of sounds like a reboot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, new generation. <laughs> it's like it's like Saved by the Bell, the new class, <laughs> Underworld, Underworld, the, the new, new generation. <laughs> but uh, that that's that's going to be the the title of the movie. It really is. Yeah, Underworld, new generation. Oh Christ Almighty! Yeah, <laughs> Underworld, Underworld colon. So so it's a mix of new class and next generation. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you just think about all those teen shows that tried to reboot and you think about how well those worked next generation did okay huh 
Star Trek Next Generation did okay. Well, sure, but that's not really re. It's, it's different. It's different. It's different. Shut up. <laughs> uh, it's going to start shooting in Prague in October. Um, now, I really like the first and second movies. The third and fourth one, third and fourth ones, kind of let me down. But I'm hoping for the best. But expecting the worst. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, good luck to them. <laughs> Go you. Go team. Go team new generation. <laughs> Sounds like a wrestling faction. <laughs> I'm just imagining like a West Side Story type situation. So a while back we talked about Darren Lynn Bousman's movie Abattoir. Do we know has anything happened with that? Uh, it's in post production as we speak, actually. Okay. So yeah, it's still not out, but Darren Lynn Bousman is already making a prequel. Because why wouldn't he? Just make that money. <laughs> it's going to be called The Dwelling, and Bousman will write and direct. Dayton Callie will reprise his role of Jebediah Crone. Oh good. I love that role. <laughs> right. None of us really know who that is because, like I said, the movie hasn't come out yet. Um, the story centers on a real estate reporter by the name of Jessica Lounds, or sorry, played by Jessica Lounds or Lounders. I think it's Lounds. Do you, are you familiar with her at all? The name sounds familiar. Okay. I'm not sure why. Uh, who unearths an urban legend about a house being built from rooms where horrific tragedies have occurred. The investigation ultimately leads to the enigmatic Jebediah Crone. There he is. Hey. And the answer to the terrifying question, how do you build a haunted house? Mm, this sounds very familiar. So, I mean, this is a prequel? That That's that's the... Um, that's for that's Abattoir. Ah, okay. That's why it sounds familiar. Yeah. The dwelling will take place sometime before that. And will center on Crone's character unveiling some of his dark secrets and motivations. Mm. Bousman says, What is most exhilarating as a filmmaker about the universe of Abattoir is that it is steeped in a captivating mythology with our villain as the central character. Stop saying Abattoir. You're not French. Say Abattoir like a goddamn American. <laughs> like an uncultured swine. <laughs> Abattoir. <laughs> a baiter. <laughs> This allows us so many different ways to tell stories in this world, each with its own unique point of view. So I can't really be excited about this because I don't know anything about a baiter. Yeah. All, like, that's a movie that uh, fucking Chad from One Tree Hill is going to be in, right? Is that um, Dayton Callie? Nope. Oh. I don't know his name off the top of my head, but if I heard it, I'd, I'd recognize it. Okay, I don't know then. <sighs> but anyways, what about it? I was just, oh, that, that was your whole point? Was No, I was asking you a question. One, one Tree Hill? Yeah. You know how much I love that show. I, I saw most. I saw more of that than I wanted to because that was one of the shows my wife, she like owns all of the DVDs. Actually, I think she watched it on oh, Netflix. Oh, Lynn Shea is in Abattoir. <laughs> of course she is. She's the godmother of uh, of horror. Uh, Joe Anderson? No. Aiden Flowers? No. Jay Hugh- Hughley? No. 
Then no, this whoever you're talking about is not in this movie. Oh. Uh, what the hell? I, I gotta I gotta figure out what I'm talking about then. It's gonna bug me if I don't. Joe Anderson is the guy from uh, Horns and The River. The blonde guy played Harry Potter's brother in Horns. Mm. I don't remember that sh- movie. I don't remember it well enough. I gotta make room in my brain for other uh, other movies. I forget about things really quickly. Oh, his name actually is Chad. Chad Michael Murray. That's the oh. guy I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, he was supposed to be in this. What I thought to so. That? Yeah, you're right. I don't know what happened to that. Nor do I. It's not even. It's on his on his IMDb. That was the rumor, but apparently that fell through. It would appear that way. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, I think he was supposed to play Jebediah Crone. I think he was supposed to be the lead. I don't remember. I mean, maybe that's true. I don't remember saying exactly what role he was playing, but um, hmm, whatever. Well, and, well, he's not in it, so fuck him. <laughs> Sucks for him. <laughs> maybe. <coughs> so it's all right. He's still living off House of Wax. <laughs> yeah. That's his moneymaker right there. What's the word I'm looking for? Royalties. Ah. That house of wax paper? Yeah. Wax paper. (laughs) Nice. Got it. (laughs) Um, Yep. So... Look, so, yeah. out, look, look, out look for, for the dwelling sometime in the ne- in the far future, sometime after Abattoir, which is coming in, hopefully, in the near future, we think, maybe. Nobody fucking knows what's going on. Bowsman, what are you doing to us? <laughs> He's just saying things. He's like, by the way. He's just like, I'm just going to make movies. You guys worry about when they come out. Yeah. I'm just going to keep doing it. It's done when it's done. I mean, <laughs> what, do you, what do you want me to tell you? Um, it's out of my hands. I'm off making three other movies now. <laughs> so, yeah, look out for that. Get excited, guys. Abattoir! Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. We always could spot a friend. Welcome back. And I smile when I think... But no, really, this here is something to really get excited about. Fucking A. Uh, We reported before that... Unfortunately, Twin Peaks had lost David Lynch due to some financial disputes, sounded like. Uh, and we were all really sad. And it wasn't the, the future of Twin Peaks wasn't too clear. But... I David can Lynch see is- clearly now the rain is gone. Yep. Uh, David Lynch is back. He's back! Um... Uh, yeah, so he's he's coming back, and apparently he's going to be directing all of the episodes, of which there are now more. I think there were, now, we talked about it earlier, as I gave it more thought, I think there were originally supposed to be six episodes, if I remember right. They said nine hours. Wasn't that nine hours total? Yeah. Oh, wait, no. More but I'm trying to, like... Hours. If it was six episodes, nine hours. So that maybe that was 16 episodes, because I think it was supposed to be half-hour episodes. Yeah, because if it was six episodes, that's an hour and a half each episode. Right. So it must have been 16 episodes. Or no. 12. Or 
That's not right. You can't split nine in nine and a half hours. Unless that, would be, that would be eighteen episodes. If they increased it beyond that, that's insane. Yeah, that's really long for a cable show or a premium cable, I should say. I don't know. I'm, I'm so <laughs> confused. Anyway, but the order has been expanded. Um, there are going to be more episodes, more. Uh, more Twin Peaks for you for for that ass. More coffee, more pie, and uh, yeah, more weird stuff from Twin Peaks. More Dale Cooper, yeah, and hopefully more uh, fucking uh, um, Gordon something. Oh, Lynch's character, yeah, uh, one of the best characters in the show. Shit, what was his name? It was Gordon something. Yeah, read the quote. Uh, the quote says, um, and this is from uh, Showtime's, Showtime's president. president, David Nevins. Uh, he says, uh, this damn fine cup of coffee from uh, Mark, who's Mark Frost, and David tastes more delicious than ever. Uh, totally worth the extra brewing time, and the cup is even bigger than we expected. David will direct the whole thing which will total more than the originally announced nine hours. Pre-production starts now. Gordon Cole. That's the one. Um, and, of course, David Lynch confirmed this on Twitter because that's where people get their news now, apparently. Yeah. <coughs> um, he said, Dear Twitter fans, the rumors are not what they seem. What? It is happening again. Hashtag Twin Peaks returns on the Showtime Network. This is It's great. happening! It's <laughs> great Ron Paul.Jeff! <laughs> what? You haven't seen the Ron Paul It's Happening, Jeff? I don't think so. Oh, God. You have to see this right now. What the fuck? <laughs> All right, that then. Yes. <clears throat> so... Twin Peaks um, productions, well, pre-production starts now. Uh, they're supposed to start filming what next month? Um, I wonder if there's a delay now, though. Yeah, there very well could be. It's still set for 2016, although I'm not sure exactly when in 2016. I believe we heard early in the year, so maybe January. Yeah, but again, that could be pushed back because of this. It could. Um, so. so we'll keep tabs on this. Uh, this is obviously very exciting. Uh, because the show probably would have sucked if it, had, if it weren't for David Lynch. Um, so yeah, just uh, keep you updated on this as we hear more. Yeah, I'm 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 ready. My body is ready. <laughs> Take me. Uh, that's gonna do it for regular horror business. Um, yeah, we just got just a couple of pieces of remains here for you. Uh, first off, something that many people might be excited about. Me and me and Tony, not so much. Uh, it's the 10-year anniversary of Wolf Creek being released, and in uh, celebration, I guess, they're going to be releasing Wolf Creek 3, hey. according to star John Jarrett in an interview with Manly Movie. <laughs> uh, it's being developed, should shoot it next year. Great plot. Secret, of course. This is also in conjunction with the TV series that is being developed for Australian viewers. Sorry, Americans. I, yeah. I don't care. I don't care about any of this. I don't like. That's fine if you like Wolf Creek, but um, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. 
it's not very good. <laughs> so, uh, Telltale Games is releasing uh, Walking Dead Season 3 in 2016. Um, they're also planning to reveal something major. My dick! <laughs> <laughs> At, uh... <laughs> it's been a while since we got one of those in. Now just That's what she said. Something like, I'm just picturing the like CEO of Telltale Games being at E3, which is the end of the sentence that you never got to. <laughs> um, I was working on it. <laughs> just being like, all right, I know we promised something major. <laughs> My dick! <laughs> Slaps it on the table. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Drops the mic and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> With his dick dragging behind him. <laughs> uh, okay. the, the rumor is it's going to be like a uh, like a bridge. Because I guess they did that at E3 last year. It was like a bridge between the seasons. A mini game or something. Like a literal bridge? Yes, they're going to build a literal bridge, you stupid asshole. <laughs> that you can walk across, and it's like a... a it's a rainbow bridge. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, if you're a fan of trauma films, then by now you've seen Return to Newcomb High, and you'll be excited to know that Return to Newcomb High 2 is currently on Kickstarter. Lloyd Kaufman needs your help and your money. Mm-hmm. Principal photography has wrapped, and we've assembled a working cut of the film we know the world will love. All that remains are the post-production costs, sound mixing, color correction, editing, special effects, mastering, etc. Your generous support will get our movie completed and enjoyed by film fans all over the world, according to the Kickstarter page. So, if you feel like giving your money to Troma to make Return to Newcomb High 2 happen, then go to Kickstarter and search for it. I was going to give you the link, but it's really fucking long and complicated, so I'm not going to bother. That's what she said? It's long and complicated? Sure. <laughs> I don't know which end is up here. What's going on? <laughs> well, I guess it was long enough. That could be the problem. <laughs> kind of like a hose. Where are the balls? <laughs> well, it's like, seriously, if you like lose the end of like a 50-foot hose, you're going to have a project ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, I wonder if uh, old Lloyd takes into account that he might have money for his own production costs if he didn't encourage people to pirate movies. Uh, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I, has he thought about it? Probably not. But no. <laughs> he. I mean, he, he's. He's always struck me as a very nice guy from what I've heard about him um, and, you know, heard interviews with him and stuff, but he seems like he's, at the same time, very arrogant. Yeah. And so, yeah, that those thoughts probably don't even register with him. Yeah, probably so. not. Anyway. Uh, the <laughs> Bringing it back around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tremors is an awesome movie. Tremors 2 and all the ones after that, not so great. But you can get... Ex- Didn't one just come out, come out with Jamie Kennedy? What? Really? I'm pretty sure. Ugh. God. Um, well, there's potential for y'all to get real excited, especially if you're missing 
missing the following already. Uh, Kevin Bacon has expressed interest about returning to the franchise. Um, he said uh, part of what's great about the movie is that there are next to no digital effects, which was true back then when the first one came out. Yeah. Um, but then they had... Because digital effects weren't really a thing then. Yeah, but then they had fucking flying tremors. and. <laughs> um, he said, uh, the monsters are done with puppetry, and it's still and it's still off funny and scary. It's a cool accomplishment. Um, then he said, uh, I'd love to do something else with tremors and revisit the character 25 years later. Now, of course, his buddy... Um, Oh shit! What's that guy's name? Who? It was, it was like his his friend, his his partner in, in the in the first one. Oh, God! I don't remember. Uh, uh, let's consult IMDb. Mike Michael Gross was, I think he was the director. Uh, I can confirm Tremors Five, starring Jamie Kennedy, comes out this October. <laughs> so you can be happy about that. For all you Trevor fans out there, for all you uh, Kennedy experiment, no, that's not right. The Jamie Kennedy experiment. Okay. Or experience. Whatever. Experience? Something. One of those. Uh, Fred Ward, that's his name. They they did cover his character again, um, as well as Michael Gross, who was the dad on um, Growing Pains. Right. <laughs> um both of those characters came back for sequels but Kevin Bacon the one we all want <laughs> we all want more bacon uh, so so now we wait with bated breath for more bacon <laughs> this could possibly be the first good Tremor sequel yeah so we'll see knock on wood and hopefully he doesn't do the whole movie with his hand in his face <laughs> <laughs> then he baconed us all Okay, so Bacon, you bastard. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, that's everything. That's our business. Um, so uh, as I mentioned before, we did an interview uh, a few days ago with a very special guest. Uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> as I s- repeated over and over at the beginning of this episode, uh, this is Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month. Um, last episode, we talked with MC Chris, who of course is. Not only a rapper, musician, voice actor, all that, um, but also an advocate for um, CF awareness and you know, fundraising. Um, this week, we spoke with somebody in the medical field, um, somebody that's actually very um, close to my family and I, and you know, my brother. Um, he is the director of the cystic fibrosis clinic at Seattle Children's Hospital. Um, and he kind of gives us the, the the scoop and the lowdown on uh, on where things stand with CF as far as um, treatment and research and you know ultimately finding a cure. So it was a really great interview. Had a lot of fun doing it. So why don't we go in and check that out? I 
Hey guys, you're here with Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror, and we have a very special guest with us today. Um, as you know, this is CF Awareness Month, and uh, we're doing that all month on here on the show. Um, and our guest with us today is the director of the CF Clinic at Sil- Seattle Children's Hospital, um, Dr. Ron Gibson. How are you doing, doctor? I'm doing well today, but I I, will, I already shared my sadness with Tony about the loss of his brother, but I'm overall doing well today. Good, good. Um, and yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Um, for those of you that aren't aware, uh, Dr. Gibson actually was uh, treating my brother when in his younger years um, before he kind of moved out of pediatrics. Well, my brother did anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, treated treated my brother really well. And I know that I and my family all appreciate the, the work that he he did for Andy and, um, and uh, the work he continues to do. Um. So, Doctor, uh, why don't we go ahead and start off and kind of, you know, maybe give us a little peek into your background and uh, let us know how you how long you've been practicing and. Sure. Um, so I've had a, I've taken a long road in education. I would call myself a professional student, maybe almost a nerd. Um, <laughs> I started out, you know, I went through University of Washington undergraduate college here in Seattle, and then I got very interested in science and medicine at the same time, and I was fortunate to have some amazing mentors in my life who guided me into a very unique pathway that back then, and this would be 1976, where I entered what's called a MD-PhD program. It's, it's where you do medical school and graduate school, so you can kind of mix your interests in helping patients, but also advancing science, where you get two degrees, one to help your science, one to help, obviously, develop skills to be a clinician. And I went to Wash University in St. Louis. That confuses people. Wash U, UW to Wash U, and I was there for <laughs> seven to eight years. And I've been back in Seattle ever since I graduated from med school and grad school, both as a in the University of Washington Seattle Children's as a resident for three years and a fellow in pediatric pulmonary medicine for three years. And now I've been attending for about you know, almost 30 years now on doing general pulmonary medicine, but in a lot of CF care and a lot of CF research for the last 20 years or so. So it's a long road, but I enjoy what I do. I get to teach, take advanced science. So it's a pretty cool job. Awesome. Um, okay, so... Uh, like like I mentioned, you are currently the director of the CF clinic at uh, Seattle Children's. Um, so, obviously, I, I'm pretty well versed in you know Taylor, maybe not quite as much, but we're pretty well versed in what CF is. But I think a lot of our listeners may not be entirely clear on it. So maybe kind of in your own own words, maybe explain kind of what cystic fibrosis is. Sure, and it's a complicated disease, but I'll, maybe I'll start simple. We can advance the questions if you want. So this cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease. So it's a disease you're born with, and it's, you have to get it's a gene, gene where it takes two abnormal genes to have the disease, one from mom and one from dad. And this gene that causes cystic fibrosis is a, is a real mouthful, and I'll only say it once. It's called the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator. Now, it's called CFTR. That is, gene, that is a mouthful. A mouth, <laughs> CFTR, but what the, that's, I'll stop there. But CFTR, that's the gene, and that gene codes for a protein, and, that, and proteins are what do biological functions in our body. And that gene codes for a salt pump that lines your nose, your, you know, your sinuses, your lungs, your intestinal tract, your liver, your pancreas. All any gland that secretes fluid is, is kind of lined by by cells that contain this CFTR protein or salt pump. And that salt pump's broken in CF in different ways. I, we can talk more about that. There's many ways it can be broken, and that's going to become important as we maybe get further in the interview. But that salt pump pumps out chloride, which is a salt, 
and it pumps out in water, and then also something called bicarbonate. And, that's, and that pump is very important in maintaining the lining, let's say, of your lung fluid to be the right acidic level and the right fluid consistency so the mucus can, in your lungs can flow easily. You can, you can t take on minor, minor infections in your lung and your body can fight them off. You can easily clear mucus because you're well hydrated and you can cough up your mucus. And in cystic fibrosis, with that salt pump being broken, the mucus is abnormal and your body can't fight off infections as well and you end up with recurrent lung infections or a chronic bronchitis with progressive damage of the lung is what ends up shortening people with CS lives. And that same problem affects your pancreas glands. So many, the majority of patients don't digest food well because that salt pump lines the cells that line the cells in your pancreas that shoots out digestive juices. If the, those, those tubes get sick and clogged, you can't get digestive juices out. So you can't digest your food and they have to take special enzymes to digest their food for them, which I know Andy was on. So it's, those are the main issues. Digestion, huge, where their pancreas doesn't work, can't secrete the right kind of fluid to get the, the digestive juices out, and the lungs are the biggest issue. And there's other issues as well, potential for liver disease, you can get diabetes. From, uh, there's many issues, but the main things are nutritional issues, particularly early on, and then the lung disease is what really drives how patients do and how long they live with cystic fibrosis because of these thick infections, thick mucus, and then they get chronic infections in their lung because of that thick mucus, and then they get progressive lung damage, sadly, and then their lives are shortened from that lung disease. But they have many, many good years. I mean, I guess to make that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've spoken before about how Andy, I mean, especially, uh, was definitely a unique individual um, and that he did, he really didn't allow his, his, uh, his disease to weigh him down um, until, obviously, he really had no choice. But... Um, he was, yeah, he definitely lived a, a normal childhood, at the very least, so. Yeah, I, I don't want to, you guys can, I, I don't want to interrupt you guys, but what's really amazing to me is that, you know, I'm a, like any other human being, there's days I get up and I, you know, I have a little, I might be whining a bit about something I have to do, and the patients I take care of at this hospital, mostly CF patients, every day remind me, Ron, you got nothing to complain about. We ask these young, you know, these kids, these parents of these kids, school-age kids, you know, at young adults to do a lot of therapies to maintain their health. they got to take a lot of medicines to help their food digest, special vitamins, lots of lung treatments with hours of airway clearance where they have to have their chest either clapped on or they have to breathe against a little machine like the green pickle, the acapella, or a shaking vest and take inhaled medicines for, you know, maybe three to four hours a day they're doing that in the middle of going to school or having a job. And the great, great majority of them are amazing people who don't complain. They just embrace the disease and do the best they can with what they were dealt. And it's, it's an amazing virtue that I see in the majority of CF patients, is they somehow pack their lives into less years, but they, they do an amazing job. And I should ever complain. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's, true words have rarely been said. Um, it's, you know, especially reflecting back, it's, you know, I, I think about all the times I complained about something being too physically, you know, taxing and thinking about yeah. how, how my brother in particular was like he was no no coward <laughs> as far as any that, of that. So. Yeah. He may have been short in stature and, and slight, but boy, he had an amazing spirit. And I think like I think the reason Andy and I got along so well is he had a sense of humor. He didn't take himself seriously. He took his friends and his life seriously, enjoyed music, as you know, mm -hmm. his band and stuff. But he... He always had a sense of humor, and I think that's what we got along. We could always have 
a lot of our visits were not we talked about medicine and health, but a lot of it was just talking about life and laughing about things and laughing about situations and that's what I really liked about Andy. He had to find a way to he had to find a way to use humor to deflect a lot of the stress I know he was feeling at times. So I think that's why we got along so well. So we always could have a, a good laugh and uh, try to enjoy life as best we could. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, I and my family and all his friends can, I think, all agree that he was the type of person that could become your best friend in five minutes. Um, he just had that kind of a personality, and it's uh, something to really treasure. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so you talk kind of about the the symptoms and uh, what you know the the health. Uh, I guess issues that will be presented in a CF patient. Um, what's done as far as early detection? I mean, what are kind of like the, the the telltale signs that kind of give it away early on in life? That's a great question. So in Andy's era, the great majority of patients were diagnosed by clinical symptoms. They had to get sick for us to diagnose them. They either had very called malabsorption where they eat food, particularly fats, would just go right through them. They'd have frequent bowel movements, and uh, they would basically all the calories they're eating would just go right through their body because they didn't have the digestive juices to absorb the calories and gain weight. So poor weight gain, lots of crampy abdominal pain, loose stools, and, and poor weight gain is how a lot of kids were diagnosed in the past. And then also recurrent lung infections, recurrent pneumonia, sinus disease were the big things. And what's changed dramatically in, in since Andy's you know young childhood is. Two major things happened since Andy was born and diagnosed with clinical symptoms is that we have the, G, the CF gene was figured out in 1989, and then we started newborn screening in our state of Washington, but nationally, it's not, at least we've been doing it here since 2006, but now all 50 states in the United States have a newborn screening program. They're all a little bit different, but everybody has designed a newborn screening. So kids are coming out and being diagnosed in the first few weeks of life with CF based on some blood tests. Sometimes they use DNA tests to detect the CF genes, the CFTR mutations. Mm -hmm. And the majority of people are being diagnosed by newborn screening. Now, not, it doesn't catch everybody. We all have doctors and family members or primary care providers. Anybody has to be aware that you can miss it and have to be aware of the signs of recurrent cough and chest congestion and maldigestion, all those things. But now the great majority of kids are being diagnosed as healthy little babies who then we have the chance to do early intervention and have people do much better for the rest of their life. We haven't cured the disease, but we now can intervene early to help their growth be better early on. They don't lose weight and are diagnosed at age two. They don't get chronic damage at a young age because we can start therapy sooner and, and, and you know educate families and see them in clinics. So the, the, the finding of the gene and it's helped us drive new therapies, but the newborn screening is really key to improve the outcomes of these younger kids and and, uh, and children and now adults with CF. So it's been going on for over 10 years in most states now. Now all 50 states do it. Different ways we do it, but that's how we do it. Blood uh, tests, blood tests from their babies. And a little heel stick you get when you're a baby. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's like you said, blood tests and the fact that the the, I, the gene has been identified. Uh, I know something that is obviously of concern for myself and my wife, uh, needing to go in and get ourselves tested so we can be prepared. Um, should we be both be carriers? Yeah, that's correct. It's it's very confusing. I don't. So with cystic fibrosis, we found the gene 
But what we've learned over the last, you know, I guess it's 20 years now or more, I can't even count, 20, almost 20, 25 years, is that there's over 1,800, almost 2,000 mutations in that CFTR gene I was telling you about earlier that can cause cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. That's confusing because there's 50% of the patients, so you take all those genes I just told you about, there's about 30,000 people in the United States with CF, maybe 60, 70,000 worldwide, but half of those patients have the most common mutation, this Delta F508, that the mutation that Andy had. He had two copies of that. And the, it's only like 20 of those 1,800 mutations account for almost all of the patients, but there's patients who have very, many patients that have very uncommon mutations. They have one common mutation, one very uncommon one, so it's hard to find the perfect genetic test to find all those mutations as possibilities. So we still use the sweat chloride test as a primary means to diagnose once we have a positive newborn screen. You get the newborn screen if it's positive, and you do the sweat chloride test that measures the salt content in your skin that's abnormal if you have this broken salt pump. Mm-hmm. And we still use a sweat test to help us, but genetics can also be, if you find two mutations, that can be very helpful and supportive. But it's confusing because there's so many mutations and we can only, it's hard to screen for all of them in a simple test that's not very costly. So we're still using sweat chlorides. We still use clinical symptoms and the patients we miss, and we still have to use, you know, still use genetics more and more, but it is complicated. And it's important for young parents, like you just said, Tony, that the young parents now are coming in and pretty much now all moms are offered and dads are offered screening for a battery of mutations, but it's somewhere between 25 and 70 mutations, and there are discussions to expand that to more, but it gets to be confusing. How many mutations they're looking for? Can you really rule out CF just looking for 25 or 50 mutations? You know, probably not, but it, it lowers your odds that those are negative, but it's not a perfect test. Sure, yeah. But in your situation, I mean, if you have a known family member with known mutations, like, you know, your brother, you could be easily screened yourself for that mutation that Andy had. Yeah, I know that... You and your wife to make... I, I was, they attempted to screen me when I was a kid, and uh, <laughs> I proved to be a difficult patient, so... <laughs> you difficult? No. <laughs> you, didn't get a, you didn't get through the sweat test, Tony? <laughs> I, I guess not. I was never a big fan of the doctor, so... <laughs> Um, so I know you went over this a little a little bit earlier, but as far as patients living with CF, what what kind of impact does it have on them? What kind of physical impact? What what do they have to deal with in their day to day? Yeah, there's kind of that's a good question, Taylor. There's different stages. I mean, I'll try to man. So early on, it's obviously it's devastating diagnosis to young parents. You know, young parents with their first kid, they come to clinic with a newborn screen. The kid looks totally fine. Some of the kids, maybe nutrition's often even at a few weeks of age, but most of the kids, no cough, no respiratory symptoms, are just there for digestive issues. And we have to break the news to a family of what appears to be a healthy baby that have a disease called CF. So for the first several years, you're mostly just you're dealing with nutritional issues. You're dealing with getting adjusting their uh, enzymes, these little capsules and beads they have to take with each of their meals and their snacks, giving them fat-soluble vitamins, giving them extra salt. And for those first years, we're focusing on nutrition, 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 getting them to gain weight. Somewhere in that, you know, between one, you know, even it's starting at one, but certainly one the early school age years, then you can start getting recurrent lung infections. And we're much more aggressive than when Andy was a little boy. We learned a lot more about what germs cause significant infections. We've learned a lot more about how to treat them more aggressively. So we're 
basically these kids are being asked with their parents to come every month for the first six months of their life, every two months the next six months of their life, and then from age one onward they're seeing in clinic ideally, you know, every three months. So we ask to have quarterly visits every three months to see these young kids and, and elder kids with CF. So we're doing preventative health care. We're checking their growth. We're checking their lung function. We're listening to their lungs. We're checking their cultures or their airways, their respiratory secretions to see what germs are growing. We're helping decide about starting all sorts of different medicines to help um, you know, get the mucus out or thin the mucus. We're you know, reminding about airway clearance and how to do the best airway clearance to get the mucus out of their chest. And then, so, and for many years, a lot of kids are never hospitalized anymore. They, 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 they are treated with, and they get illnesses like colds, they get antibiotics and they're the most kids and we'll give them antibiotics for like a cough for a week and they just get better and we roll along. But at some point, the oral antibiotics start, stop working or they get other infections like pseudomonas and they need to be, and they don't get better with medicines at home, they have to come in the hospital for IV antibiotics. And you know, I know that Andrew went through this it's called a pulmonary exacerbation. You come in the hospital and you have to get a special IV placed and you can be here for 10 to 21 days in the hospital getting more aggressive nutrition, more aggressive airway clearance, and more aggressive IV antibiotics to try to knock down that infection along and get their lung function back up to where it was. So most patients by school age have been admitted maybe once, you know, once a year. Some of the milder ones not so much anymore. But, you know, as you get to be older adolescent and young adult, it can be two or three times a year some patients are admitted these pulmonary exacerbations, and which is IV antibiotics. It's time away from school. It's time away from work. It's time away from your family. Not easy. It's a big disruption to the uh, the, young, the person's life and the family's life with these exacerbations. But for the most part, the majority of people get a lot better with um, these admissions for pulmonary exacerbation. They don't all get better, but um, but the most most of them do get better, and, uh, and they go back to their lives and. In between these exacerbations, I take care of many people like Andy, where they're they can you know they can be musicians, they can be athletes, they can be anything they want. But a lot of people have really good lung function for many many years and can do many many amazing things. You know, hiking, biking, sports. They can, you can do a lot of things these days because of the many more medicines we have to keep the lungs healthy. So it's it's I don't know if I talked about this earlier, but many patients can live. You know, long lives. The average survival is now for, projected survival is 40 years. When I started out, was about 20. So it's now average life expectancy is 40 years. So that's for people being born now. It's not. I feel bad for Aunt, for Andy, but the life expectancy just keeps getting better and better for people born now. That it's getting to be a, a milder disease with people living into adulthood having normal lung function throughout a lot of their childhood. The average lung function for kids in our center between 6 and 17 is completely normal. That's the average. There's a wide range, but so it's, a, it's very different, but the burden of care is the constant need to be seen by the doctor, and I heard Tony say he didn't like that, so we're dragging them in every three months, and we're constantly adjusting medicines and monitoring them for early decline so we can jump on early rather than wait until they're really sick and have to, you know, pull them out of a dark hole. So it's frequent visits, aggressive treatment with, for the mucus being thick with inhaled medicines like DNAs and hypertonic saline, and then frequent antibiotics for, you know, setbacks. Some are oral, some are inhaled now, thanks to research, and then the IVs are our last resort. Yeah, I know um, 
that uh, in Andy's youth, he had a lot of trouble with uh, aspergillus, which is, of course, a, 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 a fungus that flo- floats in the air, if I'm not mistaken. That's a good, yeah, Andy had some tougher, comp- that's a pretty rare complication to see. If we see it, I'm not making, it's not a common condition, but you're, you're bringing up a good point, Tony, that patients with CF, because of this abnormal mucus, these common mold spores that are out in the northwest everywhere can get into your lung, and we don't know why, but some patients have this dramatic allergic reaction to the mold aspergillus. Mm-hmm. You get this just amazing allergic reaction, you make lots of mucus, you get a lot of wheezy, you get a lot of cough, and you get stuck being put in a lot of steroids and other medicines to treat the fungus, and it can be a long battle that can really affect your lung function. That's not a real common part of CF. It's something that Andy had, but it's that's not the most common thing. It's more likely like staph aureus infections or pseudomonas infections we're treating these Mm-hmm. school-age young adults with it. And now, thanks to research, a lot of it at Seattle Children's, if I could toot Dr. Ramsey's horn, my horn, my colleague and friend who helped uh, Andy a lot, too, is she helped us develop inhaled tobermycin, which treats pseudomonas, and we've had other people develop inhaled antibiotics like Casetin and DNAce and Hypertonic. All these therapies have been developed through research networks the foundation sponsors and scientists have done. It really helped to maintain lung health and... Um, keep kids healthier so they don't uh, have so many setbacks and don't come in the hospital so often. Mm-hmm. But Andy had part of that, that AB, we call it ABPA, and he had, the, he had that tough battle with that. Made things even harder for him. Right. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, not to, I don't want to, I'm trying to avoid like kind of retreading things you've already said. Uh, what, what are some kind of the, the obstacles um in, in treating the disease, um, I mean, in, in, you know, disease that's just inherently, you know, over time becomes more and more detrimental. Um, what are the kind of the obstacles that you face trying to treat patients and, you know, keep them healthy as long as possible? That's a good question. Insightful. I, I you know, I'm not gonna, a lot of it's, um, we still, we understand the biology of disease. We don't have, right now, and I'll go back a little bit. So right now for the last I don't know. I've been in this for 25 years, but a lot longer than me being involved. We've been treating the signs and symptoms of CF. We treat the infection. We treat the inflammation. We treat the mucus. So we're throwing, you know, kind of stopgap measures to treat the side effects of the disease, and that's worked pretty well. We have a lot of improvement in quality of life and life expectancy, but only till recently have we had medicines being developed through these research networks of the foundation and, you know, all sorts of places around the country and in the world. We're actually developing medicines, not to just treat the signs and symptoms of the disease. We're developing medicines that you, or pills. We, we're, you know, the, the CF community, are developing pills that you take that actually go in and actually correct the salt pump. So that's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer to go from giving people antibiotics and mucus agents to a pill twice a day that tells the salt pump to get to the surface and work make the mucus normal, and hopefully make a tremendous contribution to controlling the signs and symptoms of CF. Cure is a strong word, but dramatically controlling the signs and symptoms of CF with little small molecules they develop through fancy screening tests that actually treat the salt pump defect as a complete and total game changer. And that's something we can talk about later on if you want. And I have to say, the only thing I used to so, no, treating down. We're treating two downstream. We're treating this, this already the disease state rather than treating the primary problem. 
The other thing to say it's hard to talk about, but a lot of it, we talked about this, the burden of care and adherence is so big. We have a lot of medicines already approved for treating CF. And I'm not picking on the patients or the families. Don't take it that way. But it's hard to do this every day for every, you know. Tony, you, can, you, you saw what Andy went through. Mm-hmm. But if you could take your airway clearance four times a day, if you can do your DNAs every day, if you can do your study every day, if you can take your inhaled antibiotics every day, you could probably maintain your health longer. But adherence is hard to do every day. I can barely take, you know, ibuprofen twice a day. I mean, it's hard to keep your spirits up to this every day. So adherence and finding ways to improve adherence for people and, and giving them the hope and the uh, tools to be more adherent. And, the, you know, that is also a, a barrier. You asked about barriers. Adherence is one of the barriers, especially in adolescence. Adolescence, I was a teenager once. You can jump off a building and nothing will happen to you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think adherence is huge. In those age range, we have a lot of patients that can go a little south in those adolescent years where they may be more defiant and not much in the control of their parents to take their medicines. And that can be some tough years for some kids in the problem with CF is sometimes if you lose ground, you can't get it back. You get permanent lung damage once you've kind of lost significant ground. So that's that's the problem. So adherence is an issue. I'm not blaming the patients. It's just a fact of how hard it is to do this. And then also, we've always been treating the signs and symptoms, the, the, the you know not the primary problem. And um, I, I'll pause there, but we now have some groundbreaking discoveries and developments the last few years that are, you know, made me cry. I'll just be honest with you guys. I, I, when this, some of these new therapies came out, I just said, my God, in my lifetime, this is happening. And the patients like in Andy's generation are the ones that helped us to develop these things for the next generation of kids with CF. And that's this gift that the CF patients give back to their uh, fellow patients and the future generations with CF is that they've given us, they've participated in research to help us get better at treating this disease. Yeah, and that's why, uh, um, like all Andy's friends and family, just and uh, we, we've all kind of called him a, kind of a, a CF warrior, and that uh, he he kind of selflessly volunteered himself to participate in you know in trials and research to to bring us to this time where there are all these potential like almost I, might be premature to say, but like a, a life saving treatment. Um, and Andy, yeah, was definitely involved in all that, and it's uh, it, it's probably the most selfless thing he he did in his lifetime, and I uh, think everybody that knew him honors him for that. So, yeah, I, I second that. He was an amazing guy. I mean, he, yeah, you know, you're 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 doing it's, it's, you're doing something to help you in the near future, but you know, down deep, it's going to help the next generation. Andy did that, and. I think all the patients I've helped care for that helped us advance the research in CF because in 2012 was a major moment when a drug called Coletico got approved. Uh, it's called Ibacaftor or Coletico. It got approved for the treatment of a certain type of patient with CF. This is where the mutations matter, but a small percentage of patients have a very specific mutation where the broken salt pump gets to the surface of the cell, but it just won't open and close, so it just kind of sits there. Mm-hmm. And developed a medicine called Ibacaftor. It's a pill that you take twice a day. We participated in the trial at Children's Hospital. My colleague, Bonnie Ramsey, helped run the trial. And we could, we were, you know, the scientists, just, you're supposed to be what's called blinding. You're not, not supposed to know if the kid's on placebo or the drug. You knew in a month that you had an amazing therapy. Cough diminished dramatically. Lung function went way up. Weight gain went up. It was absolutely a miracle. And the paper was published in, like, late 2011, and the drug was approved in 2012. 
And we've had patients just miraculously better with that one mutation and taking that drug. It's absolutely amazing to see. It brought tears to the eyes of those who care for kids with CF because it was a proof of principle that is now being advanced. And as we speak, there are, we have completed trials for two pills you take twice a day to treat the mutations that Andy had, the most common one. And that is at the FDA right now, and it may be approved this summer, so that half the patients in the United States could qualify for taking medicines, we don't know yet, but potentially taking a couple pills twice a day that would at least partially restore the broken salt pump. It may not be, it's not gonna be a cure, I don't think, I, I wanna be hopeful, but it's gonna at least partially restore this broken salt pump for the most common mutation CF that could dramatically improve the quality of lives of kids with CF. I'm not gonna call it a cure yet, but, and then they're already working on the next generation of medicines. No one's given up on this disease. That's the beauty of the foundation. It's a mission-driven research clinical program that wants to keep getting better. We gotta get better. We gotta get all patients some type of medicine that treats their salt pump defect. And Andy's mutations that Andy had, which we never would have dreamed we'd have medicines even 10 years ago. And this summer, there may be approval of medicine for the, two muta for the mutations, and he had two copies of his type of CF that would actually, you know, really dramatically help. And as a pediatric lung doctor, my goal is to get these drugs, you know, right now we're treating adults and kids over 12, but if they get approved for kids, you know, less than one or infants, you could start these pills if they're safe, that's the key thing, in young kids, and you could prevent lung damage or at least gradually, you know, greatly reduce it for entire lives. We are on to treating the primary salt pump not the signs and symptoms of CF, not the maldigestion, not the chronic infections. We're treating a broken salt pump, and that will be a eureka moment and a, a celebration for the entire CF community if we can get to that point. And it's, it might be baby steps. It might be it's going to take more than these, this next generation of medicines, we, but we're working on it, and science is a process where you kind of get you know one step forward, and then you have to go another step forward to, to get to a better place for our patients. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I I, th I think I know exactly what you're talking about uh, with the the combination of ivacaftor and it's lumacaftor, I believe. Uh, Correct. Uh, Reading. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's a combination is called or, or combi or, or candy. Correct. You're on top of it. <laughs> I did my research. <laughs> um, it's not officially approved. There's been some preliminary releases that the a panel is recommended it, but the final decision, to my knowledge, unless you're ahead of me, Tony, has not officially approved it, but there was a vote that said it should at least go forward for further consideration. So that's a, they're over the first hurdle. The final hurdle, why? It's the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a big, big deal. This is huge. It's just huge. Yeah, I kind of was over the moon when I read about that. Um, and actually, there's you know something else that I, I read about. Uh, it was a uh, paper that came out of uh, Yale, actually, late last month, uh, about uh, a gene editing treatment um, in kind of a you know layman's terms, <laughs> uh, where they actually will use synthetic genes to essentially fix the broken genes. Are you familiar with that treatment at all? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not approved yet. It's very, very exciting. It's a, it's a different approach. It's, mm -hmm. it, and it, the reason it's a beautiful approach, I'll back up for a second and come back to your question. So there, what I'm talking about with these small molecule pills you take to fix the salt pump, 
it's going to, there's going to be, have to be different types of medicine for different types of mutations, but it's going to be broad classes. And it, it may miss some. Some patients may not have a mutation that falls into a class that will be treated by these medicines or it may not optimally work for them. Or there's gene editing where you take a little small chain of these little base pairs and make up your DNA. It's called an oligonucleotide. You can actually kind of put a repair kit across that gene so it corrects it for each individual patient's mutation. You can design it's designer mutation. You know, it's personalized DNA medicine, I'll call it, where you can actually edit the gene so you correct the, the mutant and then therefore you can restore normal function. But there's early clinical trials. We don't, we're not involved with that here, I'll be honest with you, but we're aware of early clinical trials and moving forward, and it's a very exciting approach because it's specific to, you can make a specific editing molecule for every, each patient's their own mutation. That's pretty exciting, but we don't have, I don't have the knowledge, I can tell you, others, and others in the cross country be better experts than I am, but we haven't got the final science if that's going to work yet, but it's a very amazing proof of principle and concept with some preliminary exciting data. Mm-hmm. I, I can, quite, I yeah. just read about it myself a few days ago and uh, it was, I was just flabbergasted. Uh, I'll tell you that, you know, I'm, I am the worst businessman on earth. You guys know what you're doing. I think it sounds like you guys are something you guys are running, but <laughs> as a, a scientist, it, it's, it's, it was fascinating to me to watch as once there was success with this company Vertex, developing these small molecules and have a success with that Kaleidico, it's been so rewarding in, in, in my sense as a clinical, clinical doctor and researcher to see all these other pharmaceutical companies now getting very interested in CF because they have this amazing team of clinical, you know, clinical centers. They have this amazing network of researchers, the TDN, and now we have all these other companies coming in that want to, they've seen success in treating patients with CF with these other companies and now they want to play and the more minds thinking about CF, the more minds thinking of new therapies is all good for our patients. So that we're, we're, they're, the success is bringing in more companies to, to tax CF, which is really good. That's incredible. I mean, that's a, it's a wonderful future we live in. <laughs> and if we could just keep snowballing, that just you know it gets yeah. it that much closer every time. Exactly. Okay. Um, so I guess kind of in closing a little bit. Um, what can you, what would you say that uh, not only you know non CF patients, but you know friends and family and and just people that want to be involved, but patients themselves, what can they what can they do to kind of uh, further the cause and um, you know help raise awareness? I mean, I know you're you're <laughs> you're more on the clinical side rather than the fundraising side, but uh, what would yeah. you recommend? Well, that's a great question, and I, I guess I'll back up a little bit, but I'll answer it. So the CF team itself, my colleagues in the center, we have you know many, Dr. Ramsey, myself, we have Dr. Hoffman, Dr. Rosenfeld, Dr. Ong. We have a lot of us that are very, we try to be active and help out with the local CF foundation, and we are very active with Great Strides, which you may know about, Tony, which is an annual walk that's all over the country, and there's several walks in Washington every year, um, often in the spring, like right now, next weekend where there's just local awareness. These, these kids and their families make teams and they march around from the Seattle Center a few miles, but it's just to raise awareness for CF. And it's happening all over the country, these great strides walks to advance the care and hopefully a cure in CF. So yeah, participating right. in fundraising is huge. So I'll stop there, you had a question. I was, oh, I was just gonna say, actually, this, this coming Saturday, which is gonna be correct. the 16th, uh, Andy actually has a, a team kind of led by his girlfriend actually um and and her her mother uh he's got a team down in huntington beach in california do it walking for him on saturday so 
I mean, sometimes the dates change from site to site, but that's it, they're all over the country, and it's a, you'd be amazed how important those grassroots fundraisers. They may, they raise a lot of money. There's there's walks. That's the great strides. There's stair climbs. There's cycling, and and people come out, family, friends come out and celebrate, patient, exist, you know, current patients and patients who have passed on, and uh, give back to the CF community. And that money they raise helps both the care centers for the care, but also advances CF research. And these grassroots, heartfelt, you know, participation in fundraisers is huge. And I, in my sense, I go to the Great Strides a lot in Seattle. I don't make all of them. Sometimes our national meetings for the Lung Foundation at the same time, but. I sense the the families, the care teams get energy from just being together and rallying around the cause. It's a CF is a very mission-driven clinical and research enterprise that, and, and, and care net that really cares about things. And when you see everybody together, it's, I think Tony knows there's issues of infection control, so you have to be careful that all these CF patients in the same location. But yes. people wear masks and some, they keep their distance. But in outdoors, it's less of an issue. But it's it's cool to see. The, the energy that you see at these Great Strides events where everyone's out there marching to advance uh, CF care and, and research. So so Great Strides is huge. These stair climbs are huge. There's bicycling for CF. But um, giving back to your local chapter is, is huge, and um, that's probably the main way. And then spreading the word. You know, if you know, tell people about CF and tell people about your brother, Tony, and uh, it'll, it'll touch someone else's life. And it's amazing if you talk to a few people how many people have been touched by someone with CF. It doesn't take far, doesn't take very many people to talk to that you find someone that's been touched by CF and a family or a relative, and uh, that's how we just keep growing awareness and, and realize even though we have all these these new medicines, we're still not completely there yet. I keep, I'm very excited where we've gotten, but we've got a long ways to go, and it's only through awareness, education, participation, and fundraising, but also. Thanks to people like Andy, participation and research for the patients, and you can't mandate this; it's it's, it's volunteer. But we have, there's a whole thing called I am the key program, and it's making patients and their families aware that the way we've the way we've gotten to where we are is by people willing to you know be heroes and volunteer for research to advance care for themselves, hopefully, but also for the next generation. So participating in research for the patients and families is huge. We don't mandate it, obviously, but we really appreciate it. And then also just awareness of all the families and friends, and celebrate this disease. It's you know, celebrate the advances we're making and how we want to keep getting better. Excellent. And part of the problem for CF, as you guys know, is that it's it's an orphan disease. It's it's less than 100,000 people, so that calls it orphan status. So it's not as popular as you know asthma. It's not as popular as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Right. Not as popular heart disease. So. Sometimes orphan disease, as we call them, it sounds harsh, but that's what just number of people it means. It's harder to get awareness out there. And uh, that's what local chapters, if you, you want to do something as a friend or you know, of a patient with CF or sounds like Tony's girlfriend, or Andy's, Andrew's girlfriend is doing that, if you want to do something, just making a team for a great strides walk or a bicycle ride or a stair climb, those are huge contributions. All those small contributions add up to make a big difference. Yes, definitely. Okay, well, um, so I, I just kind of our, I think maybe the last question, uh, since we are a horror podcast, I think we would be remiss to, to not at least ask you what your favorite horror movie is. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite horror movie, The Birds, that count Hitchcock. 
Sure, yeah. Great choice. That's my that's number one. Old school scary. <laughs> so I'm old school scary, yeah, but that's not graphic horror, but just suspense horror. How about that? Definitely. Yep. Great yeah. choice. Good answer. Okay. All right, Doctor. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us today. Uh, it's It's been really great to talk to you. and uh, Very informative. Yeah. And uh, can't- well, you guys, uh, thank you for what you're doing. And uh, again, I share my condolences to you, Tony, about your brother. He was very dear to me. We shared a sense of humor and uh, a zest for life. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, thank you again. And uh, continue doing the great work you do. <laughs> You guys keep advocating. Thanks for your month of awareness about CF. I appreciate your show doing this. Our, our pleasure. All right. Thank you, Doctor. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So, like I said, uh, this this is very different than most of the interviews we've done in the past. I mean, obviously, this no, wasn't somebody in the horror field. I mean, this is somebody that was strictly in a, in a medical profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I, I had a lot of fun doing it. It was an interview that was very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I know I probably took the wheel through most of it, but I, I let you, that was, that was your show. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I, you know, while we were doing it, I had it going through my head. It's like, well, okay, I want Taylor to ask some questions here, but I know he doesn't really know some of the things I know. So, yeah. it's like, um, I'm sure you've definitely done a lot more research on the topic than I have. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, that was, I think, probably one of my favorite interviews, but I don't know. Maybe I'm a little biased. Um, anyway, so as uh, the doctor mentioned, uh, and I, I mentioned many times before, uh, if you want to help out with the cause, please go to cff.org um, and uh, donate whatever you can. Uh, we've also got a link on our website. Um, it's a little kind of image off to the right that you can click, and that'll actually take you to, as you know, I already said this before, but it's worth reiterating. It'll take you to a tribute page directly for my brother, um, but all those donations go to cystic fibrosis foundation it is a cystic fibrosis foundation um website the, the tribute pages so they're you don't have to worry about anything. it's not going through us right we're not, we don't touch that money yeah we're completely hands off with that one <clears throat> but if you also also if you want to get a t-shirt we do have them in our shop um as i mentioned at the top of the show um just go to our website or go to grave flat podcast spread shirt spread shirt dot com uh, and we have a CF Awareness Month shirt available there. Uh, $5 of every purchase goes to the CF Foundation. So, um, yeah, and like I mentioned before, this is probably going to be the end of our CF Awareness coverage. Yeah. Because, um, like you said, we've got Crypticon next week. It's fucking three episodes in a row. Um <laughs> Or three three weeks in a row, but after that, then our next episode won't be until June. So right, no. so yeah, this this is wrapping it up here. Anyway, um, yeah, I wish we would have been able to start it a little sooner, but um, you yeah, know, we did what we could. Um, hopefully, 
by the end of the month, we'll maybe sell a few few more t-shirts and have that little extra money to donate. Um, and thank you to everybody that has bought a shirt so far and anybody that may have made the donations on their own. Uh, we appreciate and love you all. And, um, you know, thank you. Um, so I guess all that is left for us is to check out our reviews. So which one would you prefer to start with? Well, before before we go into it, I just want to make a point here that, once again, we were supposed to review on Friday. <laughs> <Right. laughs> um, it's not playing in a theater close to either of us. It's kind of, the theater is in the middle of us, more or less. Really? There wasn't one near me? Well, there was, but it, we would have had to have gone last night. Mm. There wasn't a daytime showing. Right. And I was not available to go last night. So, at the last minute, we switched to a Belgian horror movie called Cub. So, I guess since we're talking about that, let's go ahead and do that one. Okay. Oh, heer, de avond is neergekomen. De zonne zonk, het duister klom. De winden doorruisen de bomen. to your point it's becoming like trying to see unfriended just became very annoying <laughs> well yeah it's, I mean part of it was that we only had a week between episodes yeah so we didn't have a lot of time to go see it and then like we were going to go see it this morning mm-hmm. but then we looked and saw that it was only playing at that one theater yeah at noon I think you said yeah yeah um, and it's just like I don't know about I can't speak for you but I know I don't have that great of a desire to even see the movie at all. So. Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> so but, it's just uh, becoming a real pain in the ass. Yeah. So I don't know if we'll we'll see if we ever actually see it. Yeah. Um, as for Cub, this is something I've been wanting to see for a while. It was doing the festival circuits, going around. Um, if it's 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 not available. In the United States yet, but if if you're really impatient and have a region-free DVD or Blu-ray player, you can get the Blu-ray online from Germany. 
Oh, yep. You, if you go to Amazon.de. <laughs> De. <laughs> That's D-E. Yeah, I got it. For Denmark. Nope. No? <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, this is a, a Belgian horror film. It's about a group of Cub Scouts who go into the woods for a camping trip. And they're uh, not counselors. What do they call them? Scout leaders? Yeah. Just, okay. Um, tell them a story of a werewolf in these woods uh, named Kai. And they go in the, the <clears throat> spot they initially were supposed to camp where they had reserved. There was these two guys riding a go-kart. <laughs> cool guys. Just, just these two bros. <laughs> Both literally and figuratively. Just dirty Frenchmen. <laughs> Wearing tracksuits. Yeah. Just doing donuts in their go-kart <laughs> and refusing to leave. They're awesome guys. Yeah, super cool. And then once 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 I get out of the, the truck to try and get these guys to, you know, fuck off and <laughs> they start getting up in their faces. <laughs> yeah, and one of the one of the scout leaders Peter actually ends up getting in a fight with one of the guys he like tackles him to the ground and then they just leave because apparently these two guys are just way too tough <laughs> so they drive further into the woods find another spot call the police on the go-kart bros bro bro cart <laughs> bro carts yeah there you go nailed it <laughs> And decide they don't want to go back to that spot because they're worried that the bro carts will come back and and torment them. Cowards. <laughs> yeah. And so th- then the cop comes and he's just big fat guy on a little motorized bike. He was the best part about this movie. <laughs> a fat guy in a little tiny bike, like a little moped. It was awesome. But it's, it was like a bicycle, but motorized. It wasn't really a moped. That's, that's, a, that's, a, motor, that's a moped. But I mean, it didn't have like the shield thing in the front. It wasn't like... Like Sasha. Sasha. JD's moped. It wasn't like a Vespa. Oh, no. Well, no. That's... That's... Yeah. It was a moped. Okay. You're a moped. Thanks. <laughs> I don't... My, my grandpa had one. It was, it was like a, basically a motorized bike. Okay. It wasn't... It wasn't classified as a motorcycle, though. Well, no. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, this cop was riding riding through the woods. On the I mean, technically, if you want to call it a motorcycle, I'm punch you so hard <laughs> in the thigh, the thigh, give you a wicked Charlie horse. No. <laughs> All right, talk about your fucking movie. All right, so this this cop was riding through the woods on this. Little, <laughs> he's just riding, he's along. riding along on his moped, and uh, the, the, the bro carts just like talk shit to him he, he goes up and he's like hey you, you should leave and they're like hey Jackie boy and then they throw something at him I think yeah while well, they're whipping fat donuts bro <laughs> it's like you really have nothing to do you come here every day and just <laughs> do donuts in your go-kart <laughs> what a life if that's all I had to do every day it probably wouldn't be a problem <laughs> you'd think you would get bored maybe but Anyways, going back to our, our scout friends, they, uh... They're not my friends. <laughs> a scout is everyone's friend. <laughs> There's one character that we focus on named Sam. And 
Sam's a little bit weird. He's just... He's a little shit. I mean, it's like he bugged me. <laughs> yeah, he is a little bit of a little shit. And he's a little weird. Yeah. And they never really explain why. They, they say that he had a, a troubled past or something, and that's really all the backstory you get on him. Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> he had a wicked heroin addiction. <laughs> Back when he was nine. <laughs> and... Sam and uh, another kid whose name I don't think I caught. The kid with the glasses. Any idea what his name was? Kid with I don't know. I don't know. But they, they both find Kai and find out that he's not actually a werewolf, but he's just this feral child that lives in these woods. Mm-hmm. And he wears a mask made out of tree bark. And did he have, what do you have, like shorts on or? Yeah, he's just, he was he was filthy. He was coated in, oh, yeah. in mud. And, Absolutely, yeah, just just wearing shorts, tattered shorts. <clears throat> and he lives in a they they call it a treehouse, but it's not like a treehouse you would see in someone's backyard. It, from the bottom, it kind of looks like a giant hammock made out of tree branches. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a nest. Yeah, from the inside, I mean, it's very intricately woven branches, basically. Yeah. And so, like I said, he lives in these woods, and he comes and he steals stuff from their camp. And then, in addition to Kai, there's also this poacher in the woods. Yeah. Um, who has this <clears throat> intricate series of underground tunnels, and then he's got these electronics. Yeah, I mean, he's got, like, almost seems like the entire forest just rigged up with traps and shit. Yeah, he's got traps, and he's got, like, devices that will signal to him when someone... You know, drives over a button. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and they get, like, these, like, Rube Goldberg machines going through the woods. <laughs> Completely unnecessary. But... Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so, um, Sam is is trying to tell his, his scout leaders that Kai is real and that he's he's out there in the woods and he's stealing from them and he's trying to hurt them. Obviously, they don't believe him because they think that Kai is just the story that they made up, just to make. He even says, you know, it's it's a story that to make camp more exciting. And at one point, one of the scout leaders even dresses up like a werewolf mm-hmm. and they, they play a game out of that. And uh, um. Can't go too much further than that without start getting into spoiler territory. Um, Sam does end up getting exiled from the camp, and that's when shit just goes nuts. And that's I'm just gonna leave it at that. All right. So, what did you think? I didn't much care for this one. Really? Yeah. I find that kind of surprising. Really? Yeah. I I think. It has a bit of a Friday the 13th kind of feel to it. Mm, I didn't get that at all. Um, I mean, obviously with a lot of not-so-subtle differences, but like the the talk of the Friday the 13th TV show that was supposed to be in between Friday the 13th 1 and 2, like when, when he's in the woods as a kid, I feel like that's kind of what this is. Mm. Yes, I don't know. Just, <clears throat> I mean, it's a foreign film, and I don't want to sound like an 
just an idiot American, but I just don't. Well, I won't go as far as to say I don't like foreign films. I hate subtitles. We've been over this multiple times. Yeah. I fucking hate subtitles, especially when it's a horror movie where I need to be watching what I'm, what's going on. Um, I can understand that. Do you yeah. think you would have enjoyed it more if it was dubbed? Yes. Not much, though, because I just... The story wasn't doing it for me. I mean... I didn't give a shit about any of the characters. That's that's my biggest gripe, is I don't feel like they developed... Other than Sam, I don't feel like they developed any of the characters far enough to make me care about them. Yeah, I mean... And even Sam, like I said, they don't really go into his backstory, so you don't really know anything about him. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that, that that's exactly what it is. It's like, we're supposed... So Sam's supposed to be kind of like our hero, but... Like why? Why do I even give a shit who this kid is? I mean, you're not telling me anything about him. Yeah, just <clears throat> just because he's on screen a lot doesn't doesn't help me get in touch with him. Yeah, um, I mean, there's you know, like the two uh, scout leaders, um, Chris and Peter. Yeah, like they're both. I mean, or Akila and Baloo. They kept calling them. Right. I had to look that up. I didn't know that was like that's a, that's like a Boy Scout thing. Oh, Akila is like the Boy Scout leader. Because apparently Aquila means one leader or something, or great leader, I think, in some language. And then Baloo is an, actually an acronym. I, well, I, I don't remember what it is, but it's something adult leadership outdoor something. Oh, okay. Well, and they're also characters from the Jungle Book. Aquila is? I think so. I don't remember that one. Uh, regardless, that was, that was off-putting. I kept getting confused. Yeah, they they because they never really explained it. And if, if you didn't know, you know, like I said, I had to Google to find out that that was a, a Boy Scout thing. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know that, then it would have been very confusing. Yeah, Aquila was the wolf. It was Aquila, also Wait. called the Lone Wolf or Big Wolf, is a fictional character in Rudyard Kipling's stories, The Jungle Book and The Second Jungle Book. I I don't even remember a wolf in the Jungle Book. Oh, okay. Whatever. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like, it got to a certain point where I just assumed those were, like, nicknames. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and then you had Jasmine. Who right. It felt was there just for the sake of having a woman there. It, yeah, at times. Because I, I remember being, I remember the Cub Scouts being all boys. Because the girls were all Girl Scouts or Brownies. Well, I had a uh, dead mother when I was in Boy Scouts. You did? Okay. Was, yeah. So it's not an uncommon thing. Uh, she, she was just the chef, though. She was not there as, right. as a, a dead mother or a leader, per se. I mean, she was by default just because she was a grown-up. Right, yeah. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know that it's necessarily common, but it's not unheard of, I guess. Okay. Um, anyway. Uh but yeah, I mean, it's like all these characters, they're, they're throwaway characters to me. I mean, and like you said, the, the characters that you're supposed to really care about, I mean, Sam and, and, and Kai, and maybe to a lesser extent this poacher, it's like, I just don't care who they are. I don't really care about their backstories. And that, 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 that really shut me off to the whole movie pretty early on. And I don't know. I mean, like I said, like that cop, the fit big fat guy on the little tiny bike, that was hilarious. <laughs> um, it probably wasn't supposed to be as funny as it was. Um, and then, 
you know, I have like a soft spot to for like mechanics and engineering and um, machines and stuff. So like those those Rube Goldberg traps, those are interesting to me. Like I I liked watching those activate. And, like I I like the theory of them when they were natural, when it's like you know stuff coming out of trees and falling sliding down vines or whatever mm-hmm. but the the like electronic devices and stuff was really weird to me and it gave me kind of a cabin in the woods vibe like his uh like his system in his, in yeah. his base okay yeah yeah that was a little off because i mean it's the middle of the woods and this guy's got all these electronic devices everywhere mm-hmm. where are they plugged in <laughs> um yeah and like something that was really briefly mentioned was that like actually the campsite they are on used to be like a, a bus, like they used to bus manu- factory. Yeah, they manufactured yeah. buses. So there are there is just a bunch of like old like cars and, and, and buses and shit all over the place. Yeah, um, and it seems like the poacher kind of made use of those. To an That's extent. true. So I wonder if you had like car batteries and he, that you would. Had stuff hooked up to it could that be. was how he generated the power. And it's not like I that was get, never explained. So. Yeah, and I never really got the impression that he was like a hermit. So I mean, yeah, I, mean, I don't know that he necessarily <laughs> resides out there at all times. But anyway, um, so yeah, overall, it's just uh, this just wasn't a movie for me. I, I definitely understand your your qualms with the lack of character development. I do feel that all the characters, it was just kind of here they are, and there was no developing into who are they mm-hmm. they're just there like and you know even with kai you don't really find out what is his backstory why is he in the woods why you know he's, he's a child yeah he's 12 or 13 years old you never find out why does he live in these woods where are his parents who are his parents you know are they dead did they leave him here is he raised by wolves yeah. nobody knows yeah i mean well i mean you kind of find out a little bit who he is, but not not in the movie. They never reveal that in the movie. Like, if you read about it, then it's all laid out for you. Um, and you know exactly who he is. Not necessarily why he is the way he is. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's, like you said, like just a lot of things that aren't, they go unexplained and undeveloped. and Yeah. Yeah. I can feel that. And there was also a lack of brutality that yeah. I was expecting. <clears throat> I expected it to be more slasher-ish. But there's really not... There, there's not even a really a very high body count. No. I mean, there's, you know, limited um, limited supply. But. Well, I mean, not even really compared to... Like, if you look at, like, say, the remake of Friday the 13th, there's eight people in that movie? Not, not counting Jason or cops or any... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the actual people around who, around there, yeah. who would or could be victims. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's probably at least that many campers here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you figure if you got the three counselors, and there, there's at least five campers. Well, and then you've got the the den leader David, who's just this asshole little kid. Oh yeah, a little prick at the flat top. Yeah, <clears throat> and then he's got his muscle. The big fat ginger. Yeah, fuck that kid. Because <laughs> like the the first time that David confronts Sam, he like tackles him and slaps him himself. But then the next time he brings this fat ginger kid with him, 
So it's like he's got his muscle with him. <laughs> yeah, there's one point where they're trying to get them, trying to make them run and you know clear out of the of the tent. And uh, yeah, there's David. What's his name? And his big fat. Yeah, I don't uh, remember the the ginger's name, but whatever the big fat kid, <clears throat> basically just strong arguing them all into staying in the tent, even though they very clearly need to leave. <laughs> yeah, um, and I like how he he just repeats everything David says. He's like, "Where are you going, Four Eyes?" And the other kid's like, Four Eyes." Yeah. Um. Yeah, you you said there wasn't a lot of brutality, which. Which mostly true. There wasn't a lot, um, but I think what there was a lack of was gore to go with the brutality that was there. It wasn't very graphic. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, um, which is fine. I mean, like I obviously prefer some some gore, but I can survive if there isn't. Um, <clears throat> I think this movie really needed it, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I expected more in that department. Mm-hmm. Um, one one scene in particular that I want to talk about is, for lack of a better term, the pinata scene. Oh yeah, I I get I get it, and I think it's a very pivotal scene, but I also really did not like it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I didn't really put a lot of thought into it. Like, I mean, I fully get why it's there. Sure. And I think it's an it's an important scene, but still, I did not like it. Yeah, I didn't I didn't care for it much either. If you watch the movie, you'll know right away what scene we're talking about. I yeah. know we're being cryptic, but we don't want to we don't want to spoil it for you. Yeah. It kind of gives you a glimpse into the ending too. Yes. Of course, that might be like a a layered spoiler there. Ignore that. <laughs> um, and one thing that's funny is the original title of this movie is Welp, yeah. which I guess is Danish or something. For I, I actually I looked it up and it's it's not German. It's probably Belgian. Is I, I don't think Belgian is a language. They weren't speaking German. Well, the, I know that the the cop was French. So were the goddamn the bros in the tracksuits. Yeah. They called him Flemish at one point. The the bros called the... Oh, you know, I think there might actually be a Flemish language. Yeah, I believe there is. So maybe, maybe that's what it was. But Anyways, the, the, the ending of the movie, just the way it ends, and then right after it ends, the title card that says Welp comes up. And it's just like, that's... In in <laughs> English, it's become this like well, well, <laughs> and well, it totally that. it totally fits with the ending of the movie. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. Okay, so uh, Flemish or Belch Dud Belch, yep, uh, Belgian Dutch, uh, or, or Belch for short, is the Dutch language as spoken in Flanders, the northern part of Belgium. Okay, so that, that must have been what it was. Right. Because, you know, it sounded like a combination of French and um, German. like Kind of like how um, Portuguese sounds like a combination of French and Spanish. Mm-hmm. It's kind of similar to that. Well, Google Trans- Translate does not have Flemish, so... Mm. 
try Dutch. I, I put I did put in Dutch and it, it, it came through, so it, Yeah. What did it translate as? Cub. Oh okay. Well there you go. Um what what did you think of the look specifically the mask of Kai? I, I I liked the mask. I liked the way it looked. I wish I could get a better view of it. I mean, so much of the movie, uh, so much of the movie took place in the dark. That's true. I mean, if you look at the the poster, though, it's it is his mask, right? But it's a, it's a, it's a drawing. A drawing, yeah. yeah. Um, like we said earlier, it's it's made of tree bark, and then it's got the two eye holes, and then it has like a horn coming out of one side, mm-hmm. which you know clearly like a, a tree branch or something. Yeah. But yeah, it was. I, it was, I thought it was cool. Yeah, it was, it's very iconic. Yeah, creative and uh, not something you would typically see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of running out of things to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of reached the end here. Okay. Um. So number. Uh, uh four. Okay. Um. I I think for once we're not just completely on the same page. I think I apparently liked it a little more than you. Um, I, I definitely didn't love it. And I, I thought that there definitely could have been more meat to the story. Mm-hmm. It just kind of felt like some things that happened. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to give it uh, I'll go six. Well, I just want to let you know that your rating is wrong. <laughs> your opinion is wrong. Uh, okay. Moving on. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the next movie that we've got... <clears throat> something that seemed like it took forever to come out. Yeah, um, we reported on it when it first started, and it was... Our first report about this was in our first episode. Was it? Yeah. So that's, that was October of 2013. Yeah. So, um, for those of you not in the know, uh, the movie is Maggie. Dad, you've protected me all my life. Now it's my turn to protect you. There is life with you, not with me. Don't come looking for me. I'm safe. I'm fine. Mr. Vogel, I wouldn't normally release someone with this type of infection. Dad! I need you to follow the rules here. Quarantine is eight weeks in. She's probably going to show more signs of aggression and hunger. When that happens, say your goodbyes and get her straight through quarantine. I made a promise to your mother to have her protect you. Everybody, Wade. 
Okay, so Maggie is a 2014 movie. By I guess it came out this year. Yeah, it came out this year. I mean, it, it like just came out last month, I think. Okay, so it was. I'm saying here that it was actually premiered at uh, TIFF. Um, Toronto International Film Festival? Yeah. In 2014. Okay. But. Just wait, recently released on VOD. Oh, sorry, no. The film was originally set to have its world premiere at the 2014 Toronto International Film Festival, but Lionsgate bought the American distribution rights and pulled the film out of the festival's roster. It instead premiered at the 2015 Tribeca Film Festival on April 23rd, 2015, as part of their lineup. Well, there you go. Um, it's one of those movies that are becoming more and more common nowadays where it got a simultaneous VOD release and theater release, or, uh, you know, theat- theatrical, um, at, you know, at the same time. Just, like I said, becoming more and more common, it seems like. Um, the film focuses on Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, as we all know, is a robot from the future. Um, <laughs> Who lives in Louisiana, apparently. Yep. Um, he's a he's a farmer from Louisiana, which is not what you normally think. No. Uh, so, it starts out with uh, Maggie. And, or starts out with Arnold looking for his daughter, Maggie, who is played by Abigail Breslin. The titular Maggie. Yes. Um... She's apparently gone into the city um, after this plague has started to take over the world. Um, it's See, this is one of those zombie movies where they don't really go into a lot of detail about how the infection started or spread. Yeah. Um, they, do, they, they say that it's a virus. Right. The, the necroambulist virus. Right. Um they suggest that it could be possible that um, it was being spread through like uh, fields and, and you know, crops and stuff. So a lot of farmers were, I don't know if they're necessarily instructed, but they burned down their entire crops uh, to prevent spreading the, the virus. Um, so Arnold's, who plays... Um, Wade. Wade. Wade Vogel. Um, he's wandering, or he's found his way into a hospital looking for his daughter, who has very quickly revealed that she's been bitten by a zombie. And this really sets up the entire premise for the movie, because it's definitely, defi- you could definitely define it as a slow burn, uh, in that it shows the very slow, pro- uh, slow in this in this world uh, very slow process of becoming a zombie <clears throat> and it was interesting to see in this that zombies they've kind of just become a way of way of the world there's kind of commonplace now <clears throat> it's it's not the kind of thing like in you know walking dead where if someone gets bit you just shoot them right I mean, I suppose there's that option, but it's not it's not done. It seems right. like they, they um, kind of let people go and just take every moment they can with them, which 
in this movie is apparently days to weeks, maybe even months. Yeah, it's never really clear on how long the movie spanned. Right, but it's definitely longer than, you know, hours. Yeah. And, you know, I want to let you guys know right off the bat here, uh, Maggie was bitten by a zombie. So mm, there's really only one ending that could come from this. So I don't know that it's necessarily possible to give spoilers. I mean, I won't give away, like, the, the details about how things come to an end. Um, but you know that Maggie's going to become a zombie eventually. Uh, I mean, the whole premise of the movie is to show her kind of gradual decline into becoming a zombie. Right, and there, there's no talk of a cure at any point in the movie. No. They're, not, they're not searching for one. It, it's, there's no hope at the end. there's yeah. no light at the end of the tunnel there's there's a um i mean the, the first doctor he encounters actually at the hospital where wade picks maggie up um he actually says that you know we know a lot about we know a lot about this but there's still a lot we don't know and he basically breaks it to him right then and there that there is no cure we don't know how to stop this um this is, so the best we can do is just treat the symptoms we can and you know, kind of like the whole, you know, all we can do is make him comfortable right. thing. Um, and Just delay the inevitable as much as possible. Right. And it's, you know, brought up that there is a quarantine zone. And he says, um, I'm doing this as a favor to Vern. You know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> um, who you find out later is actually, a, seems like Maggie's pediatrician. Their family doctor. Yeah. Um, it seems like kind of a close friend of Wade. Yeah. Um, he says, I'm doing this as a favor to Vern and actually lets Maggie go, which actually, you know, contrary to your point, it seems like it's not really necessarily common that they'll just let somebody infected go because they do say that they, he says that, you know, symptoms are going to come on and, um, you know, it's just, it's going to get worse. And when she gets to a certain point, you need to bring her into quarantine. Now, this quarantine is kind of like a a world that you don't ever really see in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of like the almost like a fabled place that's that's you know used to. It's it's almost like zombie heaven. It's, it's, it's well, I mean, talked it's, about that way. It's alluded in the movie that quarantine is basically just where they go to put them out of their misery. Essentially, yeah, uh, but I mean, you don't you don't really know that right off the bat. That's true. It sounds like quarantine is somewhere where they just, like you said, you know, try to make you comfortable and like you a know. zombie farm or something. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I mean, you come to find out that it's like you said. Um, it seems like Maggie's boyfriend. Yeah. Um. His uncle apparently works at the quarantine zone and um, has said that it's like an awful place. And, you know, they mix people of all different infection levels all together. And, you know, there's their, their people eating people uh, in, this, in these quarantine zones. And you know, it's just it's not the pretty picture that they paint it to be. It's really, you know, they create this fantasy so people will go there voluntarily um, but yeah, it's like you said, they either let people just kind of live it out or they, um, 
it seems like they give him some kind of injection that kills him. Oh, yeah, because Vern tells Wade at one point, he's just, so there's, it's going to come to a point where you have three options. Yeah. You either take her to quarantine, I can give you the cocktail that they're going to give her at quarantine, or you take the quicker route. Yeah. And Wade's gotten handy, or he, he's come to a point where he's started walking around with his shotgun. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think Vern says, you know, use that on her or something something to that something, effect. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd go that route or something. Um anyway. Uh so this is not your standard zombie movie. Not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh I mean something that actually did surprise me once they, once I they kind of established what kind of movie it was. Um, I wasn't really expecting to see a lot of zombies, but there actually are a fair amount. Yeah, same here. I I did not expect very much zombie. I thought it was like the only zombie we were going to see was going to be Abigail Breslin mm-hmm. or uh, Maggie, obviously. Um, but yeah, there's actually a, quite a few zombies in there. Yeah, and, the, you know, and some know, zombie gore too. A little bit, yeah. Um, and it's like your kind of your classic Romero zombie too. Yeah, you got your your slow shamblers. Yeah. Um, but uh, this movie was very reminiscent of a movie that I saw. When I was young, and I think of, think when we've talked about Maggie in the past, I've probably brought up this movie once or twice. Um, this is a movie I saw when I was a kid called I Zombie, not to be confused with the TV show, um, but uh, basically it just showed the the downward uh, downward progression of you know guy from from bite to becoming a zombie. Um, and uh, this movie reminded me a lot of that, except you know a little more dramatized and mm-hmm. polished, obviously. Um. Anyway, so I think Arnold kind of reminds us right away that he's not a great actor. <laughs> <laughs> he should stick to action roles, even though he's seventy something. Probably, he's old. <laughs> I just I. I could not buy him and Abigail Breslin as father and daughter. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen him play a lot of people's fathers, <laughs> like uh, Anakin Skywalker's and um, Alyssa Milano's. Uh, yeah. And, you know, should also mention that Maggie's mother uh, sh- actually I don't know that they ever actually mentioned her her mother's name but it, it's revealed that Maggie's mother has died at some point and her dad has they never said how did they I don't think so yeah, they, I don't know if it was a, a zombie thing or if it's she just something else yeah I don't know um, but uh, Wade has remarried to uh Charlotte, played by Joel. Caroline. Who's Charlotte, then? I don't know. Why are... I'm looking right at it, and it says Caroline. Okay, then Caroline. That's her. That's her name. Uh, played by Jolie Richardson. Uh, there is no Charlotte. Yeah. And so, when Wade brings Maggie home from the hospital, it's about... I mean, obviously, they know what's going on. And it's very tense, because... 
being her stepdaughter, she doesn't really have that kind of attachment she might have with, you know, a natural daughter. Um, and, uh, you know, as soon as she's brought home, her younger brother and sister are, like, immediately taken somewhere else. To, to, I think it was her sister's house. Okay. Um, because, you know, obviously then over the next... The course of events coming, uh, you know, you don't want small children around that. For sure. Um, and so from there, I mean, the movie pretty much goes where you expect it to go. She slowly kind of descends into becoming... Zombiehood. Yeah. I mean, she... It, it's interesting to see that, like, the... Inf- you can, like... It seems like the infection almost... Like physically manifests itself because there, it starts out with you know her her bite wound is on her arm or like her forearm, and the same from anybody else that you see that's infected, not necessarily a full zombie, but these dark veins seem to spread from that wound site. Yeah, and that that was interesting to me. Because, like I mentioned, Maggie's boyfriend, you never actually see where he was bitten, but you have to assume that he was bitten on like the right side of his body somewhere. And because he had all these really dark veins, but they were almost entirely on his right side of his body. Yeah. So it's just like a slowly moving infection, I guess. What I thought was weird was that her eyes would turn white, and but like she wouldn't go blind. Mm-hmm. But then she could just use eye drops and they would go back to normal. Did they? I didn't notice yeah. that. <laughs> and then towards towards the end, when someone turns into a zombie, their eyes would go completely black. Right. Um, yeah, and you know, she she's swinging on a swing set, and she falls and breaks her finger, and rather yeah. than, than allowing her, allowing Caroline to set it for her, she just, just cu- chops cuts it, it off with a fucking kitchen knife. And that her blood is just black. Yeah. Um, and, and then she said the doctor. The doctor was like, "What happened?" She was like, "Well, who needs a finger when you're losing your arm?" Right. And th- that's actually when he says it. You know, the the you're, you're not going to lose your arm. It's not going to decay and fall off. Yeah, you're just going to die. Yeah. It's you know, it's a simple death. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> Stop being a little bitch. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, this was, like I said before, just a very interesting approach to take uh, kind of inside the mind of the zombie a little bit. And it's it's weird that it takes place in this world where the, you know, the infection is, you know, the, the virus has clearly been around for a while. And they've kind of, the world has seemed to kind of come to terms with it a little bit and adapt around it. I mean, the world hasn't descended into madness as much as you might think in a lot of post-apocalyptic zombie movies. I mean, there's obviously still hospitals in operation. Yeah, there's still structure. There's still government. There's still yeah. order. Yeah, I mean, but it's 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 very... I don't know, I've heard this referred to as dystopian, but I don't know that I'd go, I would go, go that far. far. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... I mean, even to call it post-apocalyptic, that's that's going too far, too. Yeah. 
Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that at all. Yeah, I mean, j- let's just say that obviously the world is not as it once was. Um, he he says at one point that there's no power in their house. So I mean, a lot of this movie is really dark mm-hmm. um, because there's no power, um, and um, so I mean, there's like no cell phones. It's funny that like at one point he's actually holding a cell phone. At the, towards the end, I think it, I don't know whose cell phone it would be, but I, I didn't catch whether or not it was actually something on the screen or if he was just I don't know. Like, it's not terribly important. Just to know that cell phones exist, but they just clearly can't use them because the towers are sort of down or something. Yeah, I mean they still have regular house phones, um, so obviously those still work. Hmm. But um, but the world. I mean, he's, he when he's driving to the hospital, you can there's like an aerial shot of him driving, and you know he's the only car on the freeway. Uh, the town on either side of the freeway seems to be just in disarray. So I mean, the world has come down a few pegs, but it's not just. It's dropped. not like Walking Dead, where everything is just. Right. Gone, yeah, um, and it seems like they've got a fairly, you know, as much of a handle on the disease and on the virus as, as they can. Um, I mean, there, it seems like they're handling the situation fairly well. So, I mean, that's not that's not a world that you see very often in a zombie movie. It, right, it was weird to actually see a movie take place in a world like that. So, in a world. Yes. Yes, Taylor, we get it. I felt like you were waiting for me to do it. No. Um, you kept saying in a world, I felt like you were trying to drop hints. <laughs> anyway, so uh, what were your thoughts? I thought it was really slow. It was slow. And it didn't really go anywhere. Fair enough. Yeah. And like I said, I, I personally did not buy Arnold and Abigail as father and daughter. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, something like that. Interesting point. Sorry to cut you off. But uh, originally, Chloe Grace Moritz was supposed to play Maggie. Oh, that is interesting because I always get the two confused. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, it is a slow-moving movie. I'll definitely give you that. Um, I almost feel like they did that to really make you feel the, the dread, I guess. I could get that. I just didn't feel it. Sure. Um, but no, I'm, I'm with you. It was definitely moved a little too slow for my taste. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean... I did not see the ending coming, I will say that. You didn't? Mm-mm. Well, I mean, the way the ending happened... Right. Okay. Um... No, I mean, I guess I didn't either. I like also, I mentioned. I bef- didn't really care for it. Me neither. Yeah, that, that that was probably my biggest complaint. It was just it seemed too simple. Yeah. Especially, I mean, after all this time that we've spent with these characters, you know, the slow progression. It's like you expect something a little more tragic, I guess. A little more climactic. <laughs> sure. Um, but like I said, I mean, it's like the ending is not a surprise. Right. 
because the main character has a zombie virus. Right. Um, so, uh, like I mentioned before, I don't... Schwarzenegger's not a great actor. He's not as bad as a lot of people say he is, but he's not great. Uh, which really makes him perfect for, you know, action movies. Um, now, granted, he's got to expand his horizons a little bit more because he doesn't have a political career and he's old. <laughs> yes. Um, but dude's got to take some acting lessons or something because <laughs> he just does not have the chops for it. He, he did not emote well. No. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's really drawn out and long. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like it was the, like over dramatized too. It was just it it it. I mean, it didn't have much horror elements other than the fact that she was a zombie. Right. Yeah. That's another thing. Is like this. I don't know. I don't. This movie's not necessarily a, a horror. Yeah. Like I said. Like I said, there was you know some some zombie kills, but overall, it's really just more of a, a dramatic movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, actually, like, if you look at Wikipedia, that article actually describes it as a drama film. Oh, it does? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't really have anything else to say. Yeah, I don't really either. It's just, like, it, it kind of feels like like they knew where they wanted to go but then they just kind of filled in stuff to get there. It kind of seemed that way, yeah. Like like they had like an hour's worth of product, but they needed an hour hour and a half's worth of movie. Yeah, yeah, I could I could see that. Um, so what do you what do you think as far as uh, his numbers? Well, I definitely didn't love it. Um, I don't think I would go so far as to say I wouldn't. I would steer people away from it. Yeah. Um, but I would probably not voluntarily watch it again. So I think I'm going to go with a three. Okay. Um, I didn't, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it either. Um, I don't know that I would watch it again on my own, at least anytime soon. Um, but if somebody was somebody else wanted to watch it or was watching it, I don't think I'd have a problem with it. Um, but you know, to your point, yeah, it's, it was very slow moving, um, and I can't really knock it for not having more horror elements because clearly it wasn't intended to be a horror movie. Sure. Um, and, but I, I mean, I think that Abigail Breslin really did kind of capture what it what a teenager would be like, with you know, you know kind of declining into becoming <laughs> a member of the undead, um, and you know, just she was really trying to, I think, live out her days as much as possible rather than just dreading the end yeah um which I think like a lot of 
teenagers probably would do, but definitely not all of them. Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, like it was, it wasn't bad, it wasn't great. Um, so I think the best I can do is just put it right in the middle and give it a five. Okie dokie. Well, um, I think we just have one more thing before we go. And that's something we actually forgot to do last episode. Oh, right. Um, because it is something fairly new. We've only done it a couple times. But it's something we call plot holes. For those of you who are new or who have missed missed the, the episodes before, what plot holes is, is we take the plot of a popular horror movie, we take out a handful of words, replace them Mad Lib style, and see what we end up with. So... Mr. Tony. Yes. What I need from you is an adjective. Shitty. How about a verb ending in ing? Farting. How about a noun? Horsefucker. You son of a bitch. <laughs> How about a verb ending in s? Tea bags. <laughs> All right, verb. Uh, Cockslap. Wait, what? I think that's right. Yeah. This is the next one a noun? Plural or, noun? Plural noun? Yes. Cockslap's not a verb. Well, I guess it is. <laughs> okay. All right. Plural noun. Uh, big booty hose. <laughs> noun. Uh, disembodied head. <laughs> noun. <laughs> Fucking noun. Uh, speedos that are a size too small. That is oddly specific. <laughs> uh, one more noun. The struggles of life, you know. Um, a shitty dog that won't stop licking its crotch. <laughs> <laughs> Were you, like, looking at Dexter when you, when you wrote this? Uh, adjective. Drunk. Plural noun. Monkeys throwing their own shit. <laughs> All right, one more noun. Uh, beer bong. All right, so let's see what Tony has done with the movie Wrong Turn. <laughs> a turn down an uncharted dirt road leads six shitty people into a night of pure terror <laughs> in this horror story. Chris is farting through West Virginia on his way to a job interview when an auto accident slows highway traffic to a near standstill. Afraid he'll be late, Chris takes a detour down an old dirt road. A distracted Chris doesn't see a horse fucker stuck in the middle of the road before it's too late, and he teabags into the back of it after his tires suddenly cock slap. Ouch. Wait, that doesn't work. The tires cock slap? Tires have a cock? The driver, Jesse, was out on a camping trip with four of her friends, Evan, Francine, Carly, and Scott. When their tires went out, and as Jesse and Chris compare notes on their big booty hose, (laughs) they discover that the road has been sabotaged with a disembodied head. (laughs) With both parties in need of speedos that are a size too small, Evan and Francine are left to look after the cars, while the other four set out to find a shitty dog that won't stop licking its crotch. (laughs) However, Evan and Francine soon discover they've been led into a drunk trap, and as Chris, Jesse, and their friends search for help, they find that they've fallen victim not to local pranksters, but a gang of inbred backwoods monkeys throwing their own shit with a taste for beer bongs. (laughs) Perfect. So good. Nailed it. Except for Cockslap. That didn't work. That did not work. The rest of it was awesome. (laughs) So, 
that's plot holes, and that is going to do it for episode thirty-seven. Yes. Uh, wasn't this supposed to be like thirty-six point five? Supposed to be, but it turned into a full episode. So, all right. Well, um, yeah. So, thanks for joining us again. Um, uh, just one last reminder: please go to cff.org and donate to Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, any amount matters, uh, and if you do make a donation, please be sure to let us know, and we will give you a shout out here on the show. Um, we've also got shirts available uh, for CF Awareness Month, but they'll be available year-round um and anytime one's purchased five dollars of that purchase is going immediately to the grave plot or, nope no not going to the grave plot <laughs> podcast Freudian slip <laughs> no no shut up don't tell people that. <laughs> no uh it is going to cystic fibrosis foundation um and uh yeah if you do happen to we, buy one of our shirts either one of the cystic fibrosis foundation shirts or just one of our regular shirts uh post a picture on instagram or twitter and make sure you tag us yeah we'd love to see you wearing them um we can be found at grave plot podcast on instagram as well as facebook and google plus and on twitter we are grave underscore plot yes um so yeah and uh, also remember to go to amazon.graveplotpodcast.com get yourself a free 30-day trial of prime and um that's gonna do it for us so uh Tune in next week where we will be live from Crypticon. Well, we won't uh, be won't be live. We'll record it live and then it, you'll listen. Yeah, it'll be live at the time it. that we're there. Yes, be live to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So yeah. Until then, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. This has been the Grave Plot Podcast, where we're all just a little dead inside. You can get lost in the music for hours, honey. You can get lost in a room. We can play music for hours and hours, but the sun will still be coming up soon. The world's just spinning a little too fast. If things don't slow down soon, we might not last. So just for a moment, let's be Yeah.